Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective, right? The rugby podcast that, for the first time in 27 episodes, has a good game of rugby to talk about. <laughs> I wouldn't say the first time, but it's certainly one of. Ooh, I don't know. I think you can make an argument for Romania, Zimbabwe. That was a bit of a banger. Throughout the, I think right back to those Lions episodes, right? I don't think we've talked about a genuinely good game of rugby until now. Yeah, I mean... Look through the past episodes. I'd say Romania Zimbabwe is the only one I'll stand up for what, in any way, shape, or form. What I will say is we have definitely been on a losing streak recently. We have several episodes in a row <laughs> really opened the episode by saying, oh, why do we do this again? Oh, yeah, it's bloody, you know, this squidge thing that we're doing. It's so dumb, isn't it? We're just covering games no one cares about. Whereas now it's like, oh, yeah, this was good. I enjoyed this. Okay. Okay, I'm just I'm just skimming through the episodes, right? Yeah. I think you can make a case for Scotland 20, France 20. Yeah, that was good. Jamie Lyle. That was good. I think you can make an argument for that one being good. I mean, there Remain was shit aspects to it. To say, was, was all right. Yeah. That was a pretty good game. Other than that, I am looking back through these, and every single game was shite. Maybe Canada Island? Maybe Canada Island was okay? I mean, was okay. there was the late dramatic like, drop that, goals. That game was... The game was, yeah, the game was bad, and then Canada scored about 18 drop goals at the end. It was 18,000 drop goals, goals. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think there's there's something in, I guess, Canada Island, but also it wasn't a good quality game, just Canada. You know what? I'm I'm now going through everything, I think all of the games I've enjoyed the most have been all of the games with France. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. And they haven't necessarily been good games. No, they've no, no. Been, they've just they've just been games. Like they've been entertaining against Zimbabwe, USA, France, no Scotland, even uh, even though that one was a draw. <laughs> they were great against France. Yes. France always play well against France. Yeah, in the World Cups. they do. They tend to. I mean, th- there's probably a genuine joke to be made about that. But yeah, I mean, I guess you're right that either way, we are struggling. You, to... Is this like? This is kind of the hubris we've had. We're paying off covering the second Lions test from 2009. Yeah. Like, it wasn't a World Cup game, so we covered one of the greatest games of all time. And then, instead, like, in response, we've been cursed we had, with endless shine. We had a streak whereby we were watching the two World Cup semifinals after the quarterfinals from 2011, right? Yeah. Two, you know, that's, that's yeah. probably three or four, uh, to guess, of the best games of rugby that the two of us have ever experienced. And then we had, yeah, the what second and third Lions test, right? And we were probably quite burned out from all of that, thinking like, oh, I can't wait to do games mm. that have nothing on them. And now it's kind of the inverse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we get to the next World Cup, it's going to be, I mean... Oh. <sighs> However... We are getting closer because this is the last game of the pool stage we're now on. How mental Australia is that? Australia against Japan. 
We've That's somehow crazy. made it through. We've now seen. How do you feel having seen? Oh, you're Will Owen, by the way, and I'm like. Oh, oh shit! Yeah, I am. Uh, thank you for um, reminding me. Yeah, I am Will Owen. Yeah, congratulations. You have now seen every pool game from the 1987 Rugby World Cup. Just about. How do you feel? Um, I don't know. It's <laughs> like I was going to say it's cool that I've done it. I don't know if it is. Yeah. Yep, yeah, I get that. I feel that. I feel that. Like, we've Um, spoken a lot of times before about the fact that one day we'll have completed this podcast and we'll be able to say, oh yeah, we've watched every game to ever happen in the World Cup and that would be so cool. Mm. But I kind of realise now, we're actually talking about it publicly, it's not really, is it? I mean, it's a... From our perspective, it is, right? Okay, yeah. You know, it's like, is is it cool that I've seen, like... 40 Woody Allen movies. No, sure. it isn't, because Woody Allen is a nonce. Yeah. But for a period when I was 19 and I hadn't read up on the allegations against him properly, I was like, well, it's kind of cool. I've almost seen all of them, and one day I'll see all of them, and I definitely won't desperately regret the sheer amount of Woody Allen movies I'm consuming now. And the fact if I check yeah. my letterbox now, he'd still have like twice any other director when he went like most watched filmmakers. Yeah, that is that is a shame. That's aged quite badly. Yeah. But... And here's the thing, this Rugby World Cup's also aged quite badly. Yeah, but not in the same way Woody Allen has. I think that's a pretty unfair comparison, mate. Like, <laughs> No, I know. But, I mean, the creator of Woody Allen never talks about one of the shag pigeons. So... It's very true. Yeah, unless the director... I'm not going to of... keep standing up for Woody Allen, I'm sorry. I don't want to, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Unless the creator of the, the Rugby World Cup was Woody Allen Sr., but I don't think That's he true. was, so we're not going to stretch this bit out. No, we're not. Instead, we're going to talk about rugby. So, as I say, the game today is Australia 42, Japan 23, right? But the game is much tighter and much closer than that makes it sound. Yeah. So, once again, we uh, this game is uploaded onto the Uncle Boon Me who can recall past Rugby World Cup's YouTube channel. Yep. But I say the game is, probably about three quarters of the game is, I don't know, I think we're maybe missing actually probably the yeah. last two minutes or something, but we missed I mean, one try on the end, which canonically didn't happen, so. Yeah, so we were in the office this afternoon, and whilst editing the All Blacks Island video, I was kind of scrambling alongside trying to find a copy of this game, and I yes, managed you were. to get hold of it, we managed to get it. And well done. Didn't realise until we were watching it back that... <laughs> <laughs> that I was missing a large part of it, and I apologise. I don't think it was a large part of it. To, you to be fair, and to no, I think it's probably it's probably about five minutes. Yeah, maximum, maximum. So we're missing one Australia try at the end. And yeah, because there was a point. Otherwise, it, there was a point where the commentary said there's 13 minutes left, and I checked, and there was 11 minutes left. So do the math. Oh, okay, that's fine. Man. But okay. yeah, Two. the thing is like. Look, whoever scored the last try at the end, I'm not really sure who it was. It's your fault. You should have scored that earlier. Yeah, Players I should believe, plan for um, the stream cutting out. Yes. I believe the final try is scored by Mark Hartill, the tight head. Oh, okay. Right at the end. So I'm imagining it's probably a terrible try, but we have no yeah. way of knowing. Look, there was one try that happened earlier in the game. Because I've got the try scores in front of me. But there was a try mm. that happened earlier in the game where I just like basically didn't notice it happen. Because I was busy, I I was literally watching it in the rugby club clubhouse, putting my boots on, Mm. ready to coach. 
whilst I had the the stream sat next to me uh, because I've had a very busy day, as you know. Yeah. And watching that game was something I was doing as a multitask. And that one try was the bit, the one bit where the other part of my brain didn't prioritise it. But it was a shit try anyway, which we'll come to. But yeah. So with that in mind, actually, so there was a game a few weeks back where you didn't have any notes because you went to Worcester. Yes. So at this time... Uh, they don't I, allow notebooks in Worcester. They don't allow notebooks in Worcester, so which really is a real weird, pain like, in the ass. Really weird, like medieval law. It that is, is not yeah. Allowed. Like the, you walk into WH Smiths and it's mostly empty. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like really overpriced meal deals in there. Like that's all yeah, there is. Yeah, that's it. And that's it. If and like old bring, magazines. Yeah, yeah. If you've, you've got a you've got a choice between an egg sandwich and a copy of Edge. Yeah, yeah, I remember in Worcester actually there was the left-handed shop is in Worcester that you used it's to go anymore. to. When was, it's not. That's gutting. So I went. I I looked for it the last time I was there for the Premier Fifteen final because yeah, I said, we used to go there a lot as kids. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I'm left-handed, I'm, so the left-handed shop yeah. was like Legoland for me. Because <laughs> I'm kind of the black horse of the family, but actually, sheep of the family. Uh, I'm the black horse of the family. Black horse. Because you don't think I'm going to win? I'm the black sheep of the family, and I am right-handed. In a found, you know, and there was a lot of like left-handed goings on in the Owens. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But you yeah. know, now I'm outnumbered because our father left us, and he was left-handed. So. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that was you've won. The you've won the war. Do you think? Do you think that's? Do you think that's where he got the idea? He looked at which hand he preferred. He went left. Okay, I'll 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 have left. Nice. That was that was that was turns out a good turns joke. out the shop went bankrupt during COVID. And it wasn't there anymore, oh, no. which was a shame. Oh yeah, because those um, people became right-handed over COVID. <laughs> it was a real. It was one of the symptoms. People didn't realise it for a really long time. Yeah. It's like how you know. I knew someone who was like, "You ever known someone that lost their sense of smell before?" Because I've lost my sense of smell. Didn't realise until like two years later. I was like, "Oh yeah, I had co- clearly had COVID early." Not, it's like see, that. Like most people just got do right-handed. You, do you want to hear um, a really good joke that people make about coronavirus? Sure. You won't have heard this one before, actually. It's a completely original joke that I heard recently and thought, oh, okay, two things about this. Oh, I don't know what punchline is about to come. And also like, oh, I've never heard that one before. Okay. Can you just, can you just um, pretend to me that you like Coldplay? Um, hello. Hi there. William. Hi there, Robbie. I, I am a fan of the popular uh, hit beat combo Coldplay. Oh, Coldplay, I'm aware of that. Wait, wait, wait a second. Do you like them? I quite like the cold, cold play. Um, I enjoy many of their top hits, um, such as um, Yellow. That's and, a Coldplay song. Um, and and um, the and adventure of a lifetime yeah that's also a cold place but wait wait a minute you like that song do you have coronavirus because one of the symptoms is that you have no taste that's that's a joke genuinely haven't heard that i've heard that joke ridiculous amounts of times because i have no taste personally like lots of people make that (laughs) joke about me Coldplay are fine. Yeah, they're fine. You know, they do the job, don't they? Then they wrote yeah, a song about yeah. Morgan like, Parra, which I'm all for. Rhiannon will hate I, it, but... Yeah, that's very true. I Look, Coldplay and Marmite are two things that you should either love or hate. I think they're both fine. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just ambivalent towards Marmite. Which yeah, is going to be yeah. the name of my... In fact, That's my favourite Half Man Half Biscuit album. You know what? I like Coldplay. I don't love them. I think they're, I hey, think they're good. Hey, hey, have you got a coronavirus? No, why do you Because you've got no taste. What? So, you might not have taste, but do you know what this game from 1987 had? What? It had two teams. Okay, okay. And so, we're going to move on to look at the teams. Okay, 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 okay. Wait, I didn't um, I didn't tell we... my story. I didn't tell the story. But what I didn't was your story? mention why I brought up Worcester and the left-handed shop. That was because you went there the other week and you ha- didn't have any notes. Oh, yeah. Whereas this time, neither of us had notes because we spontaneously separately started watching this game when we'd finished the Ireland video. So I had to make all mm. of my notes on my phone and you've had to make it in like a Google Doc or something, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I made my notes on Google Doc, so I've got them. Like I don't notice they exist. I don't actually have notes this week because uh, I wasn't yeah, in Worcester, okay. which is the real pain in the neck. Yeah, yeah. You're not even allowed notes in Worcester. Like your notes app yeah. just locks while Look. you're in Worcester. Ashley Beck has been furious. He hasn't been able to remember anything. Like, every yeah. time he goes to the he shops, he's got no idea what his shopping is now. Like, yeah, yeah, he normally used to make a list. And now he's just like, what do I buy? Do I buy cheese? Yeah. You really As he wanders around Beck. that Tesco next to the train station. In, yeah. I've been to Worcester. I know the Tesco's next to the train station. Um, I, I know remember a great the, player um, spotted on Blood and Mud, the, the podcast that everyone listening to this also listens to. Yes. Where someone spotted Francois Hugo in Waitrose in Worcester. <laughs> and... You know what? I walked past the Waitrose in Worcester while I was there, and I looked through the window just to see if I could spot him, even though he no longer plays for Worcester. It would have been exceptional if you saw at least a rugby player there. Yeah. Because like, you sampled the delights of Waitrose and Worcester just in case Francois Hohart was there. And you looked at it with Francois so, Hohart in mind. But The previous time I'd been in Worcester, before the Premier League's final, because I, I yeah. seem to find myself in Worcester a lot. Yeah. I was I sat in a pub to do some work to just like I had my laptop out and it was like the, the most convenient place. Were um, you making I think notes? During COVID, like a lot of places people weren't around. No, 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 no. no. I want to be very clear on that. I wasn't okay. making any notes. Uh, I was only writing whole sentences, which is the distinction. Okay. And so I, I would have had to edit that out so the police don't get us. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. The Worcester police—they're oh, very, very God. forceful. I'm shaking. And I overheard there was a conversation going on between two old men who were talking about how shit Paul Hodgson was. <laughs> They're not they wrong. Like, one of them was talking about like scrum halves or something and everyone was like, uh, do you remember that lad Paul? I don't know why they've got a northern accent. They're from Worcester. So, do you remember that Carry lad on. Paul Hodgson? It was like, uh, like one of the biggest waste of money we've ever spent. And then they started like describing one time he got charged down playing for Worcester. <laughs> In like in detail, I think against Bath, it was great because like you never, I you very rarely hear conversations like that in the East Midlands. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like I, I remember once when when I was on the way back from Birmingham after mm. going to a gig, and I was on the train there, and I did have my headphones in. I was listening to music or a podcast or whatever, or something else yeah. you could listen to in headphones, and then I, I heard. Behind me, no, no, that was it. I was watching a Red Roses game against Ireland ah. from the Six Nations on really shit train Wi-Fi, and then I heard the people behind me. 
I heard the name Handro Liebenberg come into conversation. I was like, hang on, I just need to eavesdrop here. So I just turned the commentary like very far down. And I was just eavesdropping on these two Tigers fans talking about their chances for the rest of the season. And you know what? They said oh. they were going to win the Prem and they did. They didn't say a Freddie Burns drop Fair goal, play. but... Yeah, and I really enjoyed eavesdropping on that conversation. I really wanted to like turn around and say like, you know what? Tommy Rafael's really good, isn't he? Yeah, but yeah. I didn't. It happened during. I mean, it was on the way back from the Premiership final. But like, mm. I was doing that of eavesdropping on some Tigers fans who just won the Premiership were delighted about it, and then they recognised me yeah. and joined in, and they were great lads. Oh, nice. I, I wish I asked for their names. They were they were lovely. Oh, nice. But yeah, there was a big up those lads. This, Honestly, the best thing about minor levels of fame is every now and again getting to join in when people are talking about Sure, Tommy sure. Rafael. Like, acceptably eavesdropping on trains. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's lovely, it's lovely. Otherwise, you don't get to have enough conversations about Marley Packer. Exactly, yeah. But yes, you were so, saying, we have two teams here. Two teams, two teams. Should we start with the Australia team? Okay. Let's do that. So I think that they make quite a lot of changes for this game. The most fun of the changes is that they move David Campisi to fullback, yes. which is let me let me tell you, I, I I don't use these words very lightly. It's a really strong phrase. It's a right laugh. <laughs> it is. It is. It's just a correct decision for yeah for entirely neutral reasons. Yeah. Although we do have the very sad news that Pap Daddy himself. Brett Papworth drops the bench. He does. In order to bring in Michael Cook, who was talked up as like a very, very good player at the time, but had been kind of struggling right. with injuries coming into this World Cup. He would go on after this to go to Rugby League, as with the entire Australian team, played one of year course. after this World Cup for the Wallabies before going to Rugby League. Of course. And yeah, so he'd played for the Wallabies against France the previous year, had apparently been just outstanding, played kind of mm. like just played consistently for them then right before the world cup got injured then right. spoilers goes on to break his arm during this game oh yeah of course of course and pap daddy does actually get his appearance in the end pap daddy gets so on. we do get to he see currently him a works bit. as a pe teacher oh michael cook michael cook huh that is i mean that's pretty cool i guess especially yeah. to say i assume he's probably like in his 60s or something so you know good to see that he's still cutting about doing his thing Yep, I'll, I'll tell you what, right? Not only is he a PE teacher, he was the PE teacher of Daniel and Anthony Herbert and Brendan McKibben. Oh, no way! play for the Waratahs. Yeah, Brendan McKibben did play for London Irish, though, so that's not as good. Okay. But still, Brendan McKibben oh, was, oh, was what oh, a player. And it gets better, Ben and Alex yeah. Toulis as well. Oh, wow. Also came through his school. I forgot they were Australian. Yeah. So he has he has coached an international. Yeah. Uh, well, I said Clearly. coached, taught. Yes, or at least he was still teaching there in 2015. And he, I think he the might school's going to take credit for that. Retired now. So yeah. So you know, good good chance he coached or taught Ben Toulis, future Scotland Indeed. international. Indeed. So in the pack, they bring in a lot of a lot of unfamiliar names. They bring in Mark McBain at hooker. Mark Hartill, who we mentioned earlier, a tight head prop. Ross Reynolds in the second row. Yeah. Yeah, a few names that we've not really seen or heard much of thus far in the tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a largely changed pack, even if the back line is largely other than, you know, as I say, one player coming back from injury and David Campesi moving to fullback. Largely yeah, the yeah. same. 
a lot of them are quite well established wallabies as well. A lot of them have won caps and been playing for them for sure. a few years. Sure. Yeah. Team. Um, like, there's a point, like, probably 10 minutes from the end of the game. Uh, or as far as I'm aware, where Gordon Bray says on the commentary, like, oh, how amazing has Mark McBain been all this time? Like, you know, you ask anybody, they'll just say Mark McBain has been one of the best players. And I was just thinking, like, who the hell is Mark McBain? I've never, like, heard of him. Like, I've not seen him yet in this game. But that's probably on me. No, I think, looking back on it, he had a solid game for a hooker in 1987, which is an impossible thing to... I loved his throwing in style. He was like a cricket bowler. Like he would exactly. have so it, like he bends the ball like halfway across his back. And yeah, he it. I yeah, don't think yeah. He threw it straight once, like, but fool. But like, he he basically has it so it doesn't put any spin on it or anything. He has it so it basically goes it goes perfectly still through the air. It doesn't move whatsoever. It's a really strange technique, but I loved it. It's bizarre. It looks so uncorrect to the eye, almost as uncorrect as that word sounded. Yes. Do you want to hear something else uncorrect? Yeah. So, right, we have, in this game, captaining Australia for the first time, is Simon Poydvin, right? Yes. In this game, Simon Poydvin also breaks the record to become the most capped Australian of all time, up until that point. Yes, indeed. This is, I believe, his 43rd cap. Yeah. Which at the time was a hell of a lot. Yeah, Though I suppose yeah. we've seen, like, and actually... won 50 caps, and it does happen, you get high numbers. Sure, yeah, yeah. And, like, in fairness, like, throughout this tournament, I think Poydovan has been one of those kind of consistent present members in their pack that were probably not given yeah. enough credit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I naturally, I hadn't paid much attention to him. And he's weirdly, sure. when you look at kind of his achievements, right? So he's one of only four Australian players ever to yeah. have won both a Grand Slam, beating all four, you know, British-Irish yeah. teams, beating the four home nations, uh, to have achieved a series victory in New Zealand and won a World Cup, right? Only four players wow. have ever done that, and he's one of one of them. Fair play. So those the other players: David Campesi, Michael Liner, Nick Val yeah. Jones. Right? right. All okay. of those so are all kind of talked about as all-time greats. Right? Yeah. He, you never hear his name. You never. No, hear I didn't know who he was name. before we started this uh, this no. podcast. But yet, as I say, of, I've been impressed by him. Yeah, and yeah, this was kind of like a big day for him when he became captain of the Wallabies for the first time. Uh, sure, as yeah. Well, as well as say, you know, 43 caps of his eventual 59, which he retired with, becoming mm. a, you know, big part of the thing. Yeah, he then kind of retired from international rugby. Oh, no, he plays in the 91 World Cup, but he misses a lot of the next few years injured before making it to the 91 World Cup and winning the World Cup, then retiring. Right, yeah. However, right, after retiring, he seems to go into a few different things. One of them is okay. seemingly updating his Wikipedia page because he has the most complete Another one and of these. most detailed Wikipedia page I've ever seen on a rugby player. Like, genuinely, okay, I, reckon okay. it's, I reckon it's longer and more detailed than, like, Brian O'Driscoll or Dan Carter's. Like, it's it's absurd. We could make a 15 of players editing their Wikipedia pages at this point. Yep. So, okay, so I want, I want, I want to tell you about this, right? The early life section of his Wikipedia page, which if you look at almost any other rugby player, right, is a paragraph at most, if they've got one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it kind of it's, goes, it's they basically were like, in this environment. Yeah, Paul went this to this school, names. he played for this rugby club, yeah, his dad took him down, he has a sister called Jenny, you know. Yeah. Okay, for reference's sake, for comparison's sake, right, I'm going to check this against Brian O'Driscoll's okay. Wikipedia page, okay, as the 
possibly the most celebrated player of all time. Yeah, One I think that's that, not an unfair... I think he's up there with Richie McCaw, Dan Carter, Brian. And Johnny Wilkinson. Probably looking at those three. Yeah, Johnny yeah. Wilkinson, Gareth Edwards, right? There you are. John Lennon. John Lennon. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we can keep listing them. I'm going for yes. Driscoll for argument's sake, okay? Yes. Oh, Driscoll's, oh, Driscoll's early life section on his Wikipedia page is three paragraphs long, okay? Okay, that's long. Hoydevans is nine. What the fuck? So, Brian O'Driscoll's, I'm going to summarise it, basically says, these are his parents, uh, his dad was pretty good, and his uncle played one full capture island. Mm-hmm. His father was good at rugby, his uncle was good at rugby. Uh, as a child, he played Gaelic football a bit, before focusing entirely on rugby. Uh, he then played with Gordon Darcy for Ireland schools, and then played for the Ireland under-19s and Leinster under-19s before moving up there. Right? Okay. Uh, also yeah, that he makes sense. Fly position to center. That makes sense. That covers his yeah. early rugby career there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, by the time you get to point them being born, there's more detail and more more words than there is in Brian O'Driscoll's entire section. For like, so it mentions his, he's born his mother's sentence, pregnancy. Like, first sentence mentions the hospital he's born in. His mother, his mother's maiden name, his father. And then the first of five siblings. It tells you in detail about each of his siblings. Okay. It tells you about his surname, the origin of his surname, which comes from a French sailor who'd been imprisoned by the English in the 1820s and eventually settled in Australia and took an Irish wife. It describes in detail the farm he grew up on. Both, you know, the, the size of the farm is 360 hectares. Where it is, the list, a list of animals they kept. It then goes into his family, right? So his grandfather right. on his mother's side, Les Hannon, played for Australia on in 1808. 1908, sorry, which is interesting. That's fine. That 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 works. That's grand. Then goes on to say he fought in World War One in the First Light Horse Brigade. Starts to detail his career as a stretcher bearer. It then goes into Poydman's father's cousin, Doctor Leslie Oswald Poydman, was an accomplished cricketer and in, has a paragraph on his career stats. Right. <laughs> So I can tell you that he had 151 for New South Wales against McLaren's MCC side during the 1918 season. And let's be honest, Poydovan probably never met him. Yep. Then goes on to tell us about his other cousin, his father's other cousin, who was an accomplished tennis player while studying medicine, won the Swiss Championship in the Davis Cup. Right? (laughs) And then Poydovan's older brother, right, who also represented New South Wales schoolboys at Rugby Union. He played flanker as well. Grand, lovely stuff. At first, he then talks about his school, then talks about his kind of rugby league background, and then talks about moving to rugby union, when going to college, talks about his time at college for a while, and then moves on to him starting to play union fully, then talks about his degree, then talks about making the university's first team, moving to Randwick, home of the other brothers, and many other wallabies. That's where it ends. Then starts his Wikipedia, his rugby union career section, right? Okay. Which, again, so Brian O'Driscoll's Wikipedia has <laughs> nine paragraphs on his club career, right? Which Simon is, Poydevin, you know what? By Brian O'Driscoll, like literally Brian O'Driscoll, like he did a lot in his club career, you know. Simon, do you know what? I'm just going to split because they they've divided it by years, and whereas O'Driscoll's is divided by club international, right? Okay. I am going to scroll at a consistent pace through O'Driscoll's and then through Simon Poydevin's rather than counting the paragraphs, okay? And okay. I'll tell you when I'm done, okay? I'm starting at the top of Brian O'Driscoll's section on his rugby union career, okay? Right. 
I'm done. Okay. Okay. That's covered his appearance of the Barbarians, his time with the British Irish Lions, his games for Leinster, his all 100 plus caps, and his time at Leinster, right? I would make that roughly four and a half seconds. Okay. I am now going to start on Simon Poudovan's Wikipedia page on his rugby okay. career and scroll at exactly the same pace as best I can, okay? Okay. Start. Wait, starting now. We're not even up to the World Cup yet. Jesus Christ. What? He's got another five years of it. Here we are, it's the World Cup. Okay, we're still going, we're still going, we're still going. Okay. Okay, done. Jesus Christ. I make that just short of 30 seconds. Yep. Okay, so that's... It's absolutely long, his Wikipedia page. and why I spent so long on it. What it's did he do? It's absolutely ridiculous. I, he talks through almost every game he ever played, seemingly. He talks through every right. individual campaign, how his teams got on, how he played in each game. He talks through the whole thing. It gives like very detailed references. There's references to his autobiography repeatedly, which every time it lists by name, which I'll come back to the name of the autobiography. You know, that this is going to be relevant later. Okay. It talks about his favourite games he played in in detail. His favourite game he ever played in was the semi-final against France in this World Cup, which is coming up. Okay. Which we will have a hopefully quite exciting guest when we get there. Mm, yes. However, after about a billion, billion noteworthy things in his rugby career, right? Yeah. Simon Podovan retires from rugby. He works briefly as a commentator for a few years before okay. focusing on his financial career. Okay? Okay. So, he goes on so to become... So he's, manager- he's working with money, right? He is working with money. Okay. With... The now, great AUS dollar. Yes. The Bear in mind that amateurism is the greatest force of good in the world. Indeed. He's now working, enti- he's he's working entirely in amateurism to entirely from, with money. He's gone from being one of the best people in the world with such good forces, amateurism. And he's betrayed hmm. the, li- the owner of Rugby World Cup Limited who wanks over pigeons. He's betrayed that man by going and working with money. So he initially becomes a stockbroker right after time from the Wallabies. Okay? He goes okay. on to become managing director of equity sales at Citigroup in Australia, who okay. are a big financial company who do money. Mm-hmm. Or the big American company who was head of their Australian branch. Right? Imagine getting money. I know. He then goes and becomes executive directors at various different companies. One of them called Dart Energy, uh, which is okay. great, etc. However, he then goes and joins... The board of a company called Diversa Limited. Okay? Okay. And then joins Bell... Actually, that's not relevant, but that's fine. He then joins a company <laughs> called Bell Potter Financial Group as managing director, corporate stockbroker. Right? He's a really... So you're saying all company. of this is relevant? This bit is. So, okay. right? In November 2017, he was banned from providing financial services for five years. So his ban is up in November. By World Rugby, right? I have, this evening, been reading through what he did. And essentially, I can boil it down to, he was using, him and a client he was working with, were essentially propping up the price of a company they're investing in artificially, in order to kind of inflate the price, and then Hmm. sell stocks down the line. There was kind of like lots of Hmm. financial misgivings going on. Okay? Did he work for Vuno Prop? 
<laughs> Do you... Was his client bloody Nigel Ray? I'll tell you what, right? He was trying to make all the money in the world. He was trying to artificially create all the money in the world. So basically, this guy, Simon Poydevin, won everything there is to win in rugby. Then he went, you know what? Success completed it. What I need now? Money. Right? And then he essentially just worked at that for like bloody 30 years or whatever. And then went, okay, okay, I've had enough of this. Let's print money, baby. He was forced to pay a penalty of 358,000 Australian dollars. Serves him right for ruining the fuckers. <laughs> yep. So he's currently still banned from tra- from all kinds of financial oh, doings. Wow. He needs to stop um, And also from speaking again. to some people. Yeah, he should go back to it. Add some more pages to the Wikipedia page. Yeah. Um, however, do you want to know the title of his autobiography? I do now. For love, not money. <laughs> <laughs> How desperately ironic that the guy that gets banned for financial misgivings is the guy who names his autobiography about how he hates money. When was said autobiography released? I do not know that. Fair enough. Um, I can look this up right now, seamlessly, without last anyone night. knowing. <laughs> Honestly, mate, I know I never wanted to, never wanted to do any money. Never wanted it. Well, you can't uh, get fined, Published love, in 1990. Okay. Published in 1990, before he retired. Wow. Interesting. And before he went into okay. finance. So, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before he retired, he published a book okay. so that he could make money off it, presumably. <laughs> this guy does not I'm want to seeing, be poor. I'm seeing a theme. Yeah. I'm seeing a theme here. Guy likes money. I'm getting the impression. Book has 3.6 on Goodreads, but no one has reviewed it. Okay, okay. Look, we've several times long after the joke is dead, referred back to all the money in the world. But Wait, 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 wait. It's not like us to ham on a joke long after it's dead. Right? But I feel like we know where it is in the present day, but I feel like we're getting a very, very good reading into what happened somewhere in between all of that happening. Mm-hmm. And look, we'll find out more when we get onto the 91 and 95 and 99 World Cups and so on. But... I get the feeling Simon Poydevin's got quite a lot of money. I think so. I think so. I think he might have begun the snowballing that would one day create all the money in the world. Yeah. It somehow ends up in Andy Gomesar's pocket. And no one knows how it gets there. But one day when we cover 2007, we might be able to work that out. Who knows? Who knows? Watch this space. One final note on Poydevin. So Andrew Slack, who's the Australian captain for this World Cup, was playing in this game. And just chose to give Poydevin the the captaincy okay. because it was his his record breaking cap. Oh, that's like, quite yeah, nice. Good actually. on you. I rate that. Which, yeah, I think is a it's like an anti Dick of the Day nomination. It's like it's like he gets immunity from Dick yeah, of the Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he gets he gets a point in the plus category. I rate yeah. that. I rate that. Good on Andrew Slack. What a good lad. Yeah, we've uh, got to cut him some. He gets good lad points. Got to cut him some Andrew. Cut him nice. some Andrew. Very good. Very good. Should we look at the Japan team? Let's look at the Japan team. So, they make a couple of changes. They bring in Sonali Tuilatu at number eight. They bring on, and I did not realise until just now that this was his debut, but on the left wing they bring on Minoru Okadoi, who I was not familiar with. 
but he has an interesting game, and we'll come on to the many things he does in this game. But the fact yes. that his debut definitely puts it in a lot of context for me. <laughs> that does change an awful lot. I did not realise that, and now I am utterly fascinated by it. Me too. Uh, this was the first of four caps all this year. He plays in all Japan's games after this during the rest of 87, okay. and doesn't play for them again. Okay, fair enough. He goes on to play for them in an exhibition game against the All Blacks right, okay. in Tokyo at the end of this year. Fair enough, yeah. So they they it's keep in sort of the star players. There's the Fujitas, the Hayashis of the world, Miyamoto. There's a lot of players that we've kind of... I, I would say we've grown quite fond of. Obviously, we'll get yeah, to the Japanese so. leaving party later. But yeah, there's there's a lot of those those sort of players that they've kept in for one last hurrah in this Rugby World Cup. Yeah, I think so. I, as you say, it's kind of... They know this is their last shot. Yeah. They know this is their last game. They can't go through at this point. They're they're done. But they can still leave with a bit of a party. They can still make their mark on the They can still have banter, were. you know? Exactly. Which is exactly, exactly what they do. Yep. Yoshinaga comes in at 13 as well, who I thought was fun. Mm. Surprisingly big hitter for a man his size. Yeah. There's a couple of times where, like, I don't know if he did it deliberately, but he, like, ended overlaps by making big yeah. hits and like he was playing like against he... Andrew Slack who is an agile player yeah 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 like he is a disproportionately physical guy mm. yeah no, no, because he good. doesn't look that big like at one point in commentary Gordon Bray says about how small the Japanese team are yeah some have been saying that they should be wearing platform heels to which the other commentator says or elevated shoes which is the opposite of banter yeah oh god Mark Heller like bringing the joke down to me nothing game. is it Mark Heller again yes of course it it's Mark Heller okay. like the first thing I have written on my notes is, oh God, it's Mark Eller again on Japan after the racist remarks he made last time. I want to make one last note on, because uh, yes. we're not going to talk about it again. Toshiyuki Hayashi, right? Yeah. Uh, who's playing prop, also played lock during his career, which I think is interesting. I like that. And yeah, played his boat, played both. Um, he was the first ever non-British player to play for Oxford in the varsity match. Oh, Nice. That's good. He's really good, actually, Hayashi, captain, of course. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, he was the first Japanese player to achieve it, and the second non-British player after David Kirk. Oh, wow. That's very cool. I like that a lot. Uh, He also became, a few years later in 1992, the first Japanese player to play for the Barbarians. Oh, nice. You know what? So he has actually... deserved. Yeah. I've got a lot of time for this guy. Quite a nice kind of story of just kind of stumbling through breaking records and so on. Yeah, yeah. He'd go on to you know captain Japan for quite a long time. He captains them. Actually, just captain in this game. Yes, he does. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, captain for quite a few years for the next kind of four years as well after the off the back of this. Yeah, and he also now runs a charity. Oh, that's cool. I got I, I got I got really good vibes from him actually. Like throughout the whole tournament, like I know we've made a lot of jokes about the weird way he wears his scrum cap, but yeah, I, I've I've got good vibes but, at every single game I've seen him play. Like I've I've enjoyed him. So I have one thing I haven't yet because I only came across this like right before we started recording. Okay, yeah, I came across this whilst I was on the toilet before we started recording as an emergency thing, which is a lovely image for all the listeners out yes. there. So yeah, we all do it. The Gospelers, who are a Japanese band, a Japanese group from the mid-90s, okay. dedicated the song to him. Oh, They wrote a song about him that I want to try and find for the Leaving, leaving Party. party. Yes. I haven't had a chance to look this up, but I will when we we'll, get there. We'll, we have to f- try and find that. That's 
Brilliant. I'm so excited to hear that. Not enough songs are about Japanese international rugby players, I don't think. So one thing Coldplay lack. Absolutely. You know, where is it? They're All these taste. songs that are just named after emojis. Like, no, just name them after Japanese rugby players instead, you know? I found it. I found it. I found okay, it. Okay, we are listening okay. to this later on. And I feel like in that party, we'll have to have a little bit where we actually do listen to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. I'm so excited to hear this. And pull the lyrics up as well and see if we can translate Yeah, yeah. It. I've got so some of the lyrics are in English. Brilliant. And I'm going to translate Oh, that's so exciting. We'll get to this later. But that's really good. That's something to look forward to. Should we look at the game? Yes, let's. Because as I say, this is actually this good is a game. banger. This is a really this fun a game. Like, like this is the most fun I've had of a game in this World yeah. Cup for, for, for over the whole tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First half in particular. The first half is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you want to watch a game and genuinely enjoy it while still getting a sense for the fact that some of the rugby is crap off. Of course, this is the one to go for. Yeah, because it's back and forth. It's exciting. It's the kind of thing that people imagine when they think of you know older rugby because they only see the highlights. Compilations. Yeah, yeah, and like. There, there are really good moments in it that, and again, some sometimes the moments are good because they're shit, but like they're so enjoyable. The whole game, like I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. Before it. we start off, before the, the game actually kicks off, yeah, we have Gordon Bray on comms. Yes, says the referee today is Jim Fleming of Scotland. Yes, assisted by Brian Anderson and Mister McNeil. McNeil. Like he's a Mister Man. Like I guess like he's a character from children's television. I was thinking more like Balamori or something. I like he's a magical like, man in a hat who runs a tent where you can go and find a magical squid. At first, I had to like double check. Like, is that should that not be like Professor McNeil? But realised different guy, different guy, different guy. No, this is just Mister McNeil. Mister McNeil, <laughs> who, as I say, in in my head, runs a tent where he sells exotic animals yeah, to yeah. children that solves whatever their problem is, you know? Like, if you if you say go into that tent and you're being bullied at school, he will give you a gorilla that will beat up your bullies. But if you go in and, like, your parents are about to get divorced, he will give you, like, a like a, a, a seal that is so adorable that your parents bond again over it and they get back together. Mr. McNeil and his seal? Mr. McNeil and his seal? What? Where do we get to see BBs? Where do we pitch this? I've got absolute gold. Do you right? think... Can we get to whoever's made this, like... What's that bloody film that's coming out where, like, is it like Jason Derulo voices a camel or something? What's what is wait, that? What is that wait film? Wait a minute, wait a minute. What is that film that's coming Let's out? Let's backtrack. No, Jason um, Derulo bo- voicing a camel. Yeah, it's got bloody Javier Bardem in it. I don't think it is a camel. It's some animal of some sort. I've seen the trailer a couple of times. It's like, it's a singing, like, anime. It's like they've clearly looked at, like, uh, Lyle Lyle Crocodile, it's called, right? Like Jamie Lyle. <laughs> it's Jamie Lyle, yeah. Where who is it? No, Sean Mendes voices a crocodile. Oh my god! This is. A I mean, it would have been better if it was Jason real, Derulo. So but. it's clearly like after Paddington was a big hit, and they did the animated uh, or the live action mm. clip of the Big Red Dog with Jack Whitehall, which has a bit where John Cleese magics a microchip into a dog using magic because that's what cancel culture made him do uh he yeah. had to do that because of cancel culture Sean um, and now Shawn mendes plays a crocodile and the, 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 i mean the, i would have film... preferred it if it was jason derulo because Shawn like, mendes can say anything other than his own name for one <laughs> javier bardem has an oscar and now he's in this I don't know. I'm very excited. So that's going to be very good. What were we saying? Mr. We McNeil and his seal. Mr. McNeil and his the seal. The real seal. The, the, he is the real seal. Yep. So um, give it the seal that's of where approval. I think it's going. Yeah. 
Do you think Mr. McNeil's uh, like Doctor Who and his first name is unpronounceable to the human tongue? <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah, so yeah. So there's yeah. like three people in the galaxy who know what it is. <laughs> so to everyone else, he's just Mr. Mr. McNeil. He's just Mr. McNeil. <laughs> his surname is McNeil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> His first name is unpronounceable. Look, it's possible that like we don't know that Doctor Who's real surname isn't McNeil. Because, like, if That's it was, true. it'd just be really, like, underwhelming. And he doesn't want that impression given out, so if he It humanises him. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, the game then kicks off. David Campesi clears the touch. And I... Actually, I don't want to read my note out. Just... There's a... Yeah. No, I don't want to read my note out. But I just had a weird observation about David Campesi. And I think his shorts are just sticking out weirdly. But, like, <laughs> okay. it looks super uncomfortable. Yeah. And I just, you have a moment where you go like, wait, 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 hold on. You rewind, you go like, I think it's just a short, but I can't be certain. I mean, you once noticed this with Nigel Owens as well, when he went to the TMO. Then again, he was on screen for a very long time. So, <laughs> if if you're referring to what I think you are, but, uh, yeah. Maybe for Campage, it's like when he's just woken up, and it's just the start of the game. Or maybe it's just him doing a good kick. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Pretty much so, knows. They happen yeah. to everybody. Not everybody. But some so people. they kick off. Australia kick for touch. Japan kind of fart around for a while. And they get a penalty. <laughs> like, well, what I like is the first thing I've written down is Harawa's class. Because there's a point where Japan have get have a line out. And they clearly have this pre-planned move where hmm. they will crash it up with the forwards and then do some fancy shit. And Hiral just completely ignores it and boots the ball into the Australian 22. And it's absolutely incredible. Like, it's a genuinely brilliant kick because clearly Australia go, oh, look, they've got all their forwards in midfield. Like, let's mm. just mark all, all, all mark that. And David Campesi forgets what position he's playing and all of the, like, the, of everything that's going on. And they just boot it into the backfield. It's incredible. I'll tell you what, right? And we'll kind of, we might as well cover this now. But Hiral and Katsuki, the number 12, yeah, uh, their kicking game in this first half really pins Australia it's back. Brilliant! Yeah, they it's are genuinely brilliant. So, and again, we'll get onto how this game goes, right? But if yeah. if this game was played in kind of modern rugby, right? If it was like you know, like in like Super Mario Maker, how you can just like switch your level to be played in like New Super Mario Bros. style or like yeah. old Super Mario Bros. style, right? Yeah, if you could yeah, do yeah. that and just make it in this game into normal, into not normal rugby, modern rugby. Normal rugby. I think Japan win it because yeah. they have the smarter tactics, they play better, and Australia win because back in these days, right, if you were talented and you caught the ball, which is the main challenge you've scored, that was kind of it. Sure. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And they have enough talented players. They have bloody Pap Daddy for one. And Campesi and Liner and so on. And all those players are individually talented enough that because they occasionally catch the ball, they automatically score. And that's just how it works. For, I mean, for, for reference, there is a point where, talking about Australia, Gordon Bray says on the comms, they've been working hard at this particular exercise all week. And the said particular exercise is catching. <laughs> yep, I believe it. I believe it. But yeah, so Katsuki and Harao. And them having mm. the kind of one-two of, like, they play together at club level and they play together, like, constantly. Yes. Or, like, a kind of, in Japanese rugby, quite an iconic 10-12 combination. Yeah. Like, Hirao was known in Japan as Mr. Rugby. And that was kind of the headline when he died a few years ago. He died about five years ago. Right. Uh, passed away from cancer. And it was kind of referred to as, like, Mr. Rugby has passed away. And, like, there's a there was a section of him in the, um, 
I forget the name of the ground, but I saw Georgia play Fiji there in the last World right. Cup. Right, yeah, And yeah. They, have, they have a museum on the history of rugby in Japan there, because it's the town where rugby first came to Japan, where it was a of course. teacher yeah, yeah. who taught in England, brought it over, and it was taught there, and it's kind of seen as like the birthplace of rugby in Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have a museum in That's the stadium so cool. that when you go yeah. in, they have a I museum you can walk around. And like they have, they have like a signed shirt from like all of Japan's biggest victories, so like the win over Wales in 2013, the Springboks game in 2015. Uh, and I suppose we'll now have ones from that 2019 World Cup that they mm. didn't at the time, um, as well as all kinds of things. They had a big section on Harau, I remember at the time. Oh, wow. And not that's putting it together so until quite recently that that was who yeah. it was that I'd read about. Oh, that's so good. And yeah, but like it was very much seen as Katsuki was his his kind of his right hand man. Like his partner, um, yeah. Yeah, his kind of partner in crime. The two of them played as a 10 12 basically that's their entire so careers. Good. I love that. I love that. So uh, early on. When Hiral makes that kick, Gordon Bray says on the comms, you know, Seiji Hiral, he's been brilliant in this World Cup, and he's going to take the kicks at goal today. And then they get their first penalty, and nuh-uh, Seiji Hiral isn't kicking at goal, because up steps debutant Minoru Okidoi, who... <laughs> he is pumped. You can say that again. Like, I mean... For the concept of taking a penalty, regardless of whether it goes over, he is absolutely gassed for that. He's already celebrating, like, putting the ball on the tee. But, like, Japan in general looks so up for this. Like, yeah, the yeah, Wallabies have it. turned up as, like... Like, they've turned up for a game of casual touch or something. You know, they're kind yeah, of like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just expect a, a walkover. Piss around. Think it's a yeah. Job. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Japan turn up, and they all look so energised. Like, so gassed. Like... Other than Miyamoto, they have no shit houses in their team, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them are kind of putting in shots and trying to be as, like, hit everyone. Yeah, yeah, and They yeah. cut to their coach a few times, who permanently looks slightly confused. But, like, I don't know what he said to pump them up this much. No. Because they are so infused here. Like, I love Nofamuli uh, Tamofalao being yes. a dick all game. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's been... Not timid, I wouldn't say that, because he's quite a big lad, he's quite physical, mm. but like, he's not he's not been these levels of just like being, no. like pushing people around and stuff. And we will come on to some of the stuff he does and doesn't do, but yeah, just like, they're so fired up for it the whole time. And as I say, like, uh, Okidoi steps up to take this penalty, and he gets the first penalty, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, so I had written in my notes, just like, okay, sure, have a shot, whatever, man. Just because I was like, there's no way he's getting this, why is he doing this? But yeah. you know what, fair enough. Because it's three minutes in and good on him for having a crack. Yeah. So and then I... my next note is, oh, fair play in all caps. Yeah, because it's an absolute belt he gives it. It's like yep. 40 metres. He just in twats the it over the goalposts and he goes mental for it. He's like, yeah, I'm amazing. <laughs> I've scored more points in international rugby than I've played minutes. Yes. And he's absolutely loving it. He's like going up to his teammates, like high five me, high five me. Look, I'm doing great. How but... many players have ever been in that situation? Off the top of my head, George North. It's true. Anyone else? Yeah. It's a certain rarity. Um, yeah. But I didn't really focus on whether or not the kick went over because I looked at it and there's, at this point I'd started watching it in the office next to you and I started laughing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, um, why are the goalposts so tall? Let me show you a picture of the goalposts. I'm just, I've just checked this. What is going on there? The goalposts are insanely what? massive. Like, what? they go off screen. Like, for the record, right, the screen shows the posts. 
And around the point where the post would normally end, at a normal set of posts, you can see like the horizon, the hills into the distance. Yeah. That's about halfway up the screen. At the top of the screen, we don't see the top of the posts. These posts are like probably miles into the air. <laughs> That's absurd. Do we get a wide shot? Thing? I how we don't notice this. That's they get. I can see them from my window. Why not notice them on the game? I w- I will tweet this image. Uh, okay. So anybody listening can can see this. It's absurd how massive these goalposts are. They don't seem to be on the are. other end. They seem to be only on one end. They've got the goalposts <laughs> that high. But it's hard to see. It's. Why would you have one pair of goalposts? <laughs> oh no! Those, no, those other end are high. They're high. This is bizarre. How did I not pay attention to the goalposts? <laughs> this like the never-ending goalposts. There are white shots to the ground where they can't fit the goalposts in. <laughs> they go into space. <laughs> this is so. What's going on? Why are they so massive? Like the bloody chickens on that farm in Alan Partridge. Why? What's with the? What are the goalposts that big? Like, what are the they? Is, you can also see that they're slightly uneven because naturally, if they're that massive, they're going to slightly come off balance. But how are they staying up there? Like, you have yeah. to dig them clearly really aggressively into the floor. Unless, I guess, if the bottom half of the goalpost beneath the crossbar are the same length and you've just dug that into the floor and they're poking out in England somewhere. This is so weird. I'm fascinated by these goalposts, man. Right? I don't... But what's going on? I didn't care whether the kick went over. Because, let's be honest, like, the kick going over, like, that's like 80% of the ground is is encompassed in that set of posts. But they're higher than the stands. They're higher than the horizon, mate. I don't... There's, there's no shot... I've skimmed through the entire game now. There doesn't need to be any shot that shows just how high they are. Because the only kind of things we get enough perspective is against a white background, and it's quite mm. hard to tell. But oh my god, what? And like naturally, I looked at it and thought that's got to be some kind of optical illusion. But it's not. Like you can see like slight markings and slight shadows. You can see it at different points. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you can check any shot a goal, and you can see just how high they are from any angle. I can't believe it. What is where this? Is the, where is this played? So this uh, was played in the Concord Oval in Sydney. Right. Okay, okay, okay. I've just found something. Okay. The Concord Oval is famous for having the tallest goalpost in the Southern Hemisphere. As of mid-2020, the grandstands at the Oval are being demolished. But it is a it is a thing that they have famously tall goalposts. So somebody posted about it to the uh, r slash rugby union subreddit. Okay. Uh, with if, if you search Concord Oval goalposts yeah. on Google, it's the first uh, first result that comes up. And let me tell you, they are that massive. Like they go above like the trees in the background and stuff. Like they go probably twice the height of those trees in the background. Yeah. And they say yeah, you, the tallest uh, posts in world rugby. They're not used for AFL, which would have made a bit more sense. So they're used. For... They're purpose built for the '87 World Cup. Yeah. So they're now only used for rugby league because there's a rugby league ground that plays there. Right. Uh, the Tigers play there in, in rugby league. Okay. They're said to be 70 feet or 21.5 metres high. 70 feet. Yep. That's like over 10 times my height. I'm 6'2". So, so for reference, right, they're 21.5 metres. 
rugby union goalposts are normally 15 metres. Jesus. So they're like a third, like half of a goalpost again on top. Mm. That's Slightly insane. more than. I'm shocked that we've actually managed to get to the bottom of this and that this is real. Like, wow. Yeah, it's like the post equivalents of Slender Man. <laughs> like, there's something just really uncanny about them. Yeah, like, it's unsettling, even though it shouldn't yeah. be. It's literally just, it's just sports equipment. It's just too long. It's like Adam Beard's baby. It's just <laughs> too long. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, um, Bohemian Rhapsody. There we go. That's, that's, <laughs> that that's is too long. Both the film or and the song. Captain America 2, maybe? Yeah, sure. Sure, let's go for it. I'm um, just trying to think of other things I can make that joke about. There's a yeah. Daft Punk song called um, Too Long. It's too long. Is there? Yeah. Bloody... People always forget, right? Around the world, that song is ten minutes long. Yeah, it's not. It's like four minutes it's like long. eight minutes long. Come on. It's, it it's is like long. It's like twelve minutes long. It it's says around the world long. long. It's yeah. half an hour, man. Yeah. It's just it's Lose just Yourself to Dance is a very, minutes. very long song for, for what it is. For a song that has a verse and a chorus and that's it. But it's a, that's a thing. banger though. Like As I say, to go back to Around the World, that song is about four words long and it is seven and a half minutes long. You had one there job. How many words are there in Around the World? How many words is that? Three. You said it's four words long. What's the four word like, you discovered? Uh, no, 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 no. I said it's like four words long. <laughs> then why didn't you just say it's three words long? I said it's like it's like four words. Where long. have you ma- imagined this fourth word that may or may not be in there? It's uh around the oh, world. Oh, a round, around the world. comma the world. So like a thing yeah. that is round. Meaning the world, because the world is actually round, contrary to what yeah. you believe. Okay, fair enough, good save. But it's not like anybody with any kind of backbone would have crucified you a bit more for that than I than I bothered with. But yeah, do, do, do you like Daft Punk? Sure. Yeah. You don't have coronavirus. They do, They're great, they do, don't they? Yeah, yeah. No, I like Daft Punk. I'm gonna say, unfortunately, I was hoping. The French translation for Around the World would be four words, but it's not. It's free. Unlucky. Uh, a tour de monde. Ah. So, never mind. Which is basically a crossword so, song. Anyway, back to... Yes. Back to... A tour de monde. With the three, three minutes into the game. Cool. <laughs> so, they, Japan somehow knock over this penalty, and you're like, okay, that's cute. Like Japan get an early lead. Yeah, that's yeah. That's good for them. Good for them. Uh, and especially when Australia scored their first try. And it is a bit of a bullshit early, like, typical, especially in early rugby, especially in 87-ish. Uh, I realise it's not early rugby. The game is like 150 years old. Point, <laughs> but um, but their try is kind of bollocks. It's kind of like a just, sure. we've got good players, so we'll score four points automatically. Well, I mean, Andrew Slack scores the try, first and foremost. Yeah. But we've already established that... There are two, there's three things that are unstoppable in this Rugby World Cup. One of them is John Kerwin, right? Yeah. yeah. Another one of them is David Campese. And the third one is fullbacks hitting the line. Fullbacks hitting the line are impossible. There's a fourth one. There's a fourth one and it's dogs coming onto the field. Dogs coming onto the field. Throw it to one of those two players. That's also true. But fullbacks hitting the line is something where it's just like, it's absolutely insane. Like, it's crazy. Like, yep. it's bullshit. You shouldn't be allowed to do it. They should ban it because it's too good. You just can't defend it, can you? 
Can you imagine how much defences lose their minds when David Campese hits the line from fullback? And that's what it's happens on this try. It's like, that's not fair. How can you defend that? Like, what are we supposed to do? It's not fair. I'm a huge fan of the fact that the camera, the kind of TV director, cuts into the kind of angle you only ever see on tries. Mm. Like, it cuts into an angle you only ever see when someone's diving over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really close in on him. Because they see him coming into the line, and they go like, oh, this is going to be a try, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> they just cut into, into Campese in close-up. <laughs> and they have no idea how it's going to be a try, but they were right. No. And like, yeah. Australia and do these like, funny little fair, switchy moves outside him. But... It's a, it's a gorgeous try. It's I kind of understood him by saying yeah. it's bullshit. Yeah. No, but it's yeah. bullshit. Campes just Campes bursts the through the line. Yeah. Does this kind of like drop off pass, and they just interflick it between them? Yeah. Until, um, it's then like Greg um, and Cook both do a really good job of like keeping the ball alive and just like making yeah, sure. Yeah, that... Cook does a lovely offload. Yeah, yeah, where he like lifts it for Greg coming on his outside. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. And then, and then Slack dives Slack over. Slack has a great support line coming back up through the middle. And yeah, dives over, as you say. It's a beautiful first try. Like It really um, is. Yeah, it's fantastic. And like after Japan played all the rugby, it felt like usually I'd go like, oh, why are Australia scoring that try? But actually, it was really good. It was so good that you don't mind it kind of coming exactly. against the Tier 2 nation, yeah. the underdog, who are really good for performing and really up for everything. And Japan have a couple of opportunities in those first few minutes where you're kind of like, oh, this could be... Yeah, you know they have one held up over the line around this time. Mm, they do, which yeah. looked like a try to me. Kind of just bollocks. More right or less, in. came from a fifty twenty two from Kitsuki. I will add, excellent kick that, pretty good, kick. isn't I've it? Got it written down as a fifty twenty two. Yeah, I also enjoy that. Like, there's a point where uh, the Australians are throwing into the line out, and I assume it is Mark McBain who is the hooker as he's throwing in. Mm. Shouts the words "hit and drive, hit and drive" before he throws the ball in. Just like, oh, they're just giving mm. away what they're doing. Which is interesting. <laughs> so um, there's a bit as well, right before this try, I think it actually leads to the knock-on, mm. leads to the scrum, which they score off, where Japan run this utterly gorgeous move where you have Harao and Katsuki kind of mm. interlinking again. Yeah. Uh, you have them just playing some beautiful rugby. And all the players kind of doing these gorgeous, like, floated, lifted passes, mm. running onto it. Lovely angles are running. Then they get to Miyamoto, who goes, no, I'm just going to be a shithouse and just shoulders someone. <laughs> And it just sums up this Japanese team so beautifully. Not as well as another moment in late in this half, but it sums up this Japanese team kind of beautifully. That it ends in the knock-on. Sure, it doesn't work, but it's fourteen players being gorgeous and free-flowing and ambitious, and a Miyamoto being a shit. <laughs> yeah. So my my favourite bit with Miyamoto was there's a point where he makes like a, a half break down the right-hand flank. And as he catches the ball, he punches Brian Smith in the face and then passes what? him the ball. I noticed him passing him the ball. I missed the punch to the face. Yeah, he does like a handoff, but like with like a fist. Uh, so he like hits him <laughs> like as a handoff. And then to like apologize to him, he just passes him the ball. It's incredible. <laughs> like he beats his man and then just says, no, is... now you try it. And then he like hits him. It's incredible. He literally beats his man. Yeah. But that like, is true rugby values I, right there. True rugby think, values. Knowing Miyamoto, he just wanted a second pop at him. So he just thought, you have it, so mm. I'm allowed to hit you. I'm going to say, right, I've got through most of this World Cup without overdoing Nintendo references when there's a player called Miyamoto. Yeah. And I'm quite proud of that. Yeah. But every now and again, when I hear things like, knowing Miyamoto, obviously he punches him in the face. <laughs> where I'm kind of picturing this quite like, very cheery, mild-mannered man who created Mario. Also, this is an extremely niche reference, 
But wasn't Sakuraba mm. the name of the guy from The World Ends With You? Who was playing in the second row for, for Japan? Sakuraba. Sakuraba, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. I don't... I recognise the name from somewhere, anyway. Somebody, somebody's, there's somebody interesting called Sakuraba. I don't know. Sakuraba is a familiar name. Yeah. Uh, but I played the sequel to World's Edge with you last year when it came out. Yeah. And you know what? It's very good. It's very yeah. good. I think, I think there is, I think there is a Sakuraba in there. Look, he's Neku, Neku Sakuraba, yeah. Is that him? Neku, is that the main Sak- character? I think it is. Sakuraba, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Sakurana or Sakuraba. Okay. If not, it's very close to that. Sure, okay. That would probably be why the name came into my head, and I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. Anyway, anyway. So, uh, there's a point. It is Neku Sakuraba. Okay. That is the main character in the world. And that's his dad playing You're in the second You're spot on. For Japan. Outstanding work. Before he produces an emo child for an anime <laughs> DS game. No, it's not fictional. I mean, it's fictional. The other one. Why haven't I put that together? Huh. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is the first game he plays in the World Cup, I think. So, yeah. So, there's a point where <laughs> Australia boot the ball into the air. Uh, and it's landing around the Japanese 22. And uh, Nofamuli Taumafalau is is in his 22, catches the ball and calls the mark and gets absolutely nailed after the whistle by Poidovin. And Nofamuli, like, falls over onto his back, looking fuming. Like, you know when somebody falls over and they have that look of just, like, I'm going to knock this guy out as soon as I get back to my feet. Mm-hmm. Like, he rushes back to his feet, like, wants to get straight back up and just get get his gloves on and rawr, ready to go. And then he realises it's Poidovin, who is twice his size. And he then pauses <laughs> and just taps him on the shoulder. of just like, nice one, mate. And it's the fastest I've seen someone de-escalate in my life. It's incredible. Incredible. Absolutely. Bear in mind, that's a winger on a flanker. You remember in about 2009, 10-ish, there was a Wales-France game where Lee Byrne got taken out in the air. And he gets back up and looks for a fight. Like, he gets up on the touchline is like, really ready to fight. Then he sees the player he's about to fight is Sebastian Chabal, and he just walks (laughs) off. And that's the smartest thing Lee Byrne ever did. Absolutely, undoubtedly so. That's phenomenal. I love it. So... Anyway, yeah, so Japan then, after Slack's score, Japan don't get disheartened, which is good to see, because a lot of the no. two teams straight away just go down as soon as the opposition score a try. But Japan, they didn't. They started just, if anything, they got more ambitious, I would say. There's a point where I have written down, Japan, what the fuck, lads? Because they run a twi- <laughs> uh, they run a move, which is 10 and 12 do a switch. 12 then jumps into the tackle. Then everyone shits themselves and tries to transfer the ball to someone behind them by any means possible. And they get like, That's held incre- the line. It's a great move. Yeah, it yeah, is. It and, like, so everyone, almost works. Like They do that thing where they really accurately drop the ball uh, and it happens to land in a teammate's hand like four times. I see. I think that's not fluke at this point. I think this Japanese team looks really well rehearsed. Mm. They look really practiced. I did note down, um, at one and that's point, what I really enjoyed about them. I did note down at one point that I think that Japan, of all of the teams, are the team that are least sort of influenced by ego and like wanting to do yeah. things for themselves. That like putting the team first and like it's a bullshit thing to say because like it's international sport. Of course, you put the team first, but like. There's a lot of people in this World Cup, as we've discussed many times, who kick because they want to yeah. or for the sake of it or whatever. Like, Japan, there's not really any of <laughs> Which that Which we'll get on to. Do, well, there's one example. There is one example. There's one example. Do we want to talk about um, it now? Do, uh, should we talk about Japan's tries first? Okay, okay, sure. Because they score a couple of really, really lovely ones. The Katsuki one. Do we want to look at that? The Katsuki one. Because, holy shit, try. that is... That try is about 20, 30 years ahead of its time. It's 
absolutely mind blowing, isn't it? It's gorgeous. So they run a hit bootplay, which for anybody a unfamiliar, good argument for yeah, for anybody unfamiliar, it's the the sort of it's a rugby league style play that is, you see every rugby union team doing several times a game. Yeah. So if anyone's unfamiliar with so, the terminology, you have a hit runner, which is say say you're playing this off ten, just somebody running a hard line, often seen as a dummy runner, but still is an option. Usually, usually it'd be maybe uh, one of your back row, yeah. and then they'd have kind of one of your locks or something, or another forward alongside sure. as a kind of second option, possibly as a tip on. Yeah. They can take another pass. Yeah, depending on the context whereby you might be doing this. Sometimes you might do it with yeah. the backs where the 12 running that line, for example. And then in the boot, you've got probably a winger... Uh, or just a back generally, some back quicker. Center. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who's running out the it back usually into means... the gap that is being created by the, the hit runner? Usually, someone who's comfortable passing. Yes. Um, there's an example we kind of talk about it in the Island New Zealand video, yeah. which should be up by the time people are listening yeah. to this. So you can have a look at that. There's an example involving Hugo Keenan in the boot yes. with Josh van der Fleer yeah. and James Ryan in the hit, as it yeah. were. And I know we're... Or you have, like, New Zealand running it in the previous test with yeah. Rico Ioani in the boot. Like it's a, we are slightly yeah, over-explaining this thing. because it happens, like, dozens of times per team per game uh, in yeah. modern rugby at basically any level. But the fact that this was run in 1987 is incredible. We saw a try get disallowed for trying to play this in the 2011 Rugby World Cup's opening yes. match. And they ran this successfully in 1987. And Andrew Slack bought the dummy run all ends up. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic, though. They invent um, modern rugby. Com- it's incredible. Yeah. Well, it's the thing we talked about in previous episodes, where Japanese rugby is very heavily, especially mm. at this point, and it kind of continues on, yeah. built on learning moves. Yeah, yeah. On kind of learning moves and executing them like clockwork. Yeah. And it's something that Eddie Jones very much tapped into. It's a into, rehearsal. It's part of yeah. the kind of... Yeah, the rugby culture. As you say, like, yeah, training's almost like a rehearsal. And it's why Eddie Jones talks about the Japanese team being the most programmable and coachable players he ever worked with. Yeah. And because it's just kind of in their blood, like they yeah. learn moves. That's part of what you do in rugby as a, you know, as a youngster. You learn your yeah, line, yeah, you learn yeah. your lines. And I think uh, that feeds into the lack of ego they, thing, as you say. Like they all know their role mm, in this. Yeah, yeah, and they take pride in that, and like they run it to perfection yeah. as well. Because, like as I say, in the 2011 tournament, we saw some tries get disallowed, arguably incorrectly for this because they called it as obstruction. But they run it in a way mm. where it couldn't possibly, even to the worst referees, be called as obstruction. It's yeah. it, like they they run it to to perfection. It's fantastic, and as you say, as I say, like it's like seeing what is now the norm just being invented in front of us. And I know this has been a rugby league play for a long time. I don't know quite how long because we're talking back in the eighties here. But that tries so it's yeah, decades we're not, ahead. It of its won't time. be eighties wise though. No. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Mm. And then the other thing is right. We've then got. Another try by Katsuki. Mm. Yes. Then pops up on another gorgeous try. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's absolutely fantastic. Because Nofamuli or Tamofala, whichever you want to call him, he goes by both names. It's really confusing. Mm. But he had made a mistake beforehand, which we will talk about in a second. But he then... No, let's go for it. Do it it now. Do it now. Okay, okay. He makes a mistake, which is he basically makes a grubber kick on Australia's behalf. So, yeah, should we? So this is the, as I said earlier, there's a moment in this game that I think sums this Japanese team up perfectly, right? Which is that they have, Harau makes a lovely break, 
Um, we have Katsuki uh, and Yoshinaga join in. Mm. They kind of interlink that. They falls off loading. Yes. Uh, it starts with a really lovely break up the short side of thing, actually. It gets in field. They kind of pass it along and everything's working really nicely. They've made about 40 meters and it's really lovely to watch. It's just like really exciting offloading rugby. And then they go for one pass too many. And I think it's Yoshinaga tries to throw the pass. Mm. And it does not go to hand. It lands straight in the path of Andrew Slack, who hacks it on. Yeah. They have several Australians chasing. And as you say, Tauma Falau is following back. And he kicks the ball right back to his own goal line. Then has to re... This is the mm. second time he's done that. We've given him dick... Of... We've both given him dick of the day before for doing that. In a previous game. Mm. So he... I think he's trying to put it into touch in this one. You can see he's aiming for the touchline to put it out. Yes. But instead, he ends up having to ground it ground it over his own try line. Very from which Steve Toyman at number eight, scores for Australia. Straight drive over try from the scrum. Yeah. But, uh, as we were alluding to a minute ago, Nofamuli then immediately makes up for his error. Because the next time he gets the ball, he just, like, he morphs into Shane Williams all of a sudden. And he just cuts inside three players with complete ease. Like, and we're not just talking anybody. Like, he, he gets the ball and, like, he cuts inside Matt Burke. He cuts inside Andrew Slack. David Campese, like he cuts the inside world class players. The sheer balance of the way he runs is fantastic. It's it's akin to like the best Argentine wingers. Yeah, which is a feature I always notice. Like Argentine wingers are often the best for sheer balance. Mm. But I'd also like look at uh, Katara Mashashima as well. Oh, kind of that's a great example. This. Yeah, like the way he kind of just skims over, like almost over water. You yeah, know? He's almost, he almost looked like if he was running on water, it wouldn't dripple as yeah, he ran over yeah. it, the way Tama Flav runs on this try. It's it's amazing. And then he finds a support uh, in Miyamoto. Yeah. Who is it's a really unselfish pass he throws as well. Because yeah. like playing on the wing, naturally you'd assume he's quite a good finisher uh, and that he would fancy himself to go the rest of the way. But I think that was it. He knows he's just screwed up. So he really wants to like turn it from a 60% chance to a 70 and then an 100. And he makes exactly the right pass. Times it really well. Yeah. So he gives it to Miyamoto, who then in turn flicks it on, which again, lovely ball for a flanker to be giving. Yeah, well, yeah. They, really simple. Point, weren't often given those. Yeah. But flicks it on, yeah, to Katsuki, who then crashes over, scores. Good God, what which, a try. Yeah. Is Katsuki, fantastic. really great support line, times his run on. If you look at it from the kind of wider angles as well, like he arcs round and like makes sure he's getting to the right place. Yeah. Um, and does it well ahead of the time, like well ahead of Tama Falau kind of cutting inside. Yes. Or like anticipate it. Or anticipate it as he starts to cut inside. Really, really lovely stuff. Also, like, really well taken. Quickly, a word for Gordon Bray. Brilliant on this game. I really, really enjoyed yeah. him because he was yeah. really enthusiastic about the Japanese team. And even though he they was. were playing against his team, Australia, he was really knowledgeable about the Japanese players. And he was really genuinely backing them and really like buying into their style of play, which I really loved. And when they scored this something... try, he was really basking in that. Yeah. Something really lovely and unique. To say this game is being played in Sydney and involves Australia, the crowd are so behind Japan. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. they are really cheering on every try. And there's a... Should we move on to the moment from the, the other moment from the first half? Okay. So Japan find themselves with a little overlap, right? Yeah. And they start to work it out. And as as I think it's Yoshinaga is going to give the pass to it would be Tamafalao outside. Yeah. Who would be on the end of an overlap 
and would, if not score, have a very good run into 22. And we've just seen what he can do in the Katsuki try. Yeah. And him, like, breaking down his sheer pace, his balance. If nothing else, you want to see him in open space, don't you? Just to see what happens, as you say. Yeah. And he's about to get the ball in open space. Right? But one of the Australians, and I'm I'm not sure who it was. I should have known. I believe it was Slack. Okay, it's Slack himself, right? Takes him completely off the ball well before he's near it. Yep. And they both go to ground. They're both lying on the ground grappling. The ball comes loose. Hural kind of grabs it and throws it up in panic. And who should take it but Matt Burke, who then runs it in the length of the field to score? It's so chaotic because there's so many people falling over in completely different directions. And then Hural throws that pass and then goes, that's fucking dumb, wasn't it? And turns around just like... (laughs) My bad. Just straight away realising how terrible. it was. the other thing is, like, I think all of them were expecting to come back for the penalty for Slack taking Tamiflower so far off the yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's the most ridiculous one you've ever seen. Like, there was the, you know, we've seen them happen. Like, Joe Dweber got penalised for it. It's quite obvious the other way. Yeah, yeah, Brian yeah. Elias and, like, they happen. It's, they ha- oh, we're it's all really them, funny. They happen, that, like, but... Because, like, in isolation... That Hiral pass is really stupid because he just passes it straight yeah. to Matt Burke. As you say, like, in a blind panic, he just kind of goes, I don't know, I just need to give the ball to somebody. And then Matt Burke happens to be the one person who's anywhere near him. <laughs> then he realises on the opposite team. But, like, the thing is, that's overshadowed by the fact that Tamofalau has just been nailed off the ball. And it's just they're like, hold on, we can blame the referee instead now. I've got an alibi. <laughs> but it leads to the crowd... Not only booing the referee, but booing Australia, and then booing Michael Lyon <laughs> taking Michael the conversion. Lina. So I was really confused by this because, like, this game is being played in Sydney. It's in Australia. Yeah. It's an Australian crowd. Like, why are they? Firstly, why are they booing their team scoring? And secondly, what's Michael Lyon doing wrong? <laughs> but it's, so it is a horrible decision by the referee. Sure, like, it's an all-time clanger. Like it's. It's genuinely up there with them allowing the campaign to try against England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms yeah. of... It's just I hilarious. It's, like, it is, like, it's just funny. It is one of the worst refereeing decisions you'll ever see. Yeah. It is properly atrocious, right? And I really, really don't know why Mr. McNeil didn't step in and <laughs> yeah, just go, you know what? I've got a peacock that can resolve the situation. <laughs> but, but... You then go, this was not Michael Liner's fault. No, 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 no. <laughs> Leave Michael Liner alone. But... It becomes somewhat clear later on in the game quite where this may have come from as with about 10 minutes to go, there's a lot of like a very loud collective drunk voice in the, of, of the crowd all start singing God Save the Queen. Ah, uh, okay. okay. So it's all of the England fans that. have turned up and, you know, got tickets for whatever other games they can find. So right, it's right, right, them right, right. just one, obviously cheering on Japan. Have they got the same incredulity that they had on the previous game? Where like some people have travelled over from Wales just to watch the rugby, yeah. <laughs> and no other reasons. What, what on earth are they doing? So the other thing I have written down around this point is this is a genuinely good game. WTF? Yeah, which is enough of a novelty in itself. Uh, this, I mean, I've still got quite a few things in the first half. To be fair, there's have you? Um, That's about the end of my notes in the first half. Yeah, there's so f- first things first. Mark Eller re- repeatedly refers to Nofamuli as just Mooley. So clearly he's heard okay. uh, Gordon Bray call him Nofamuli and assumed that his first name is Nofo 
and his surname is Mooley, rather than, not for Mooley, in fairness, it's his first name, and Talma Falau is his surname. So, but it's one of those names where he just goes Do by either one. Do you want to know a fun fact about him? Go on. By the way. He is the uncle of Kalinis Al-Halani. Wow. I mean, I would not put that together, but, I mean, no. what a player Halani was. Kind of like Tongan-descended Japanese people. Yeah. Kinda does track, I guess. Look, it's it, it's a great genre of rugby player, I would find. Yeah. You know, you've got Nakajima, Nakajima. you've got Ivalu, yeah. you've got uh, Moe Akiola, you've got, yeah, right, Kalinis yeah. Al-Halani. What, again, what a player. Like, he, he didn't... Yeah. Did he play in 2011? I think he played a little bit, yeah, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, he played in 2015 as well, didn't he? I know. I think his last cap was uh, in the warm-ups. Was it? Right. He didn't actually make it to the World Cup. Right. Yeah, he got edged out for um, Hendrik Tui. I spent a lot of time looking through that that Japan mm. era, Jones. Yeah. And I believe he played yeah in the PNC. That he, he was a player play who like outlasted kind of what he should have done because for a large part of his career he was just like Japan's big fat number eight, who was the one player who yeah, could make yeah. hard yards. But he adapted his game really, really well when Eddie Jones came in and actually like, learned to pass really and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a really good player. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good nugget of information that those, that he's a relative of his. Yeah, there's, so, also, right, so after Katsuki scores his second try, and Japan are in the lead, I will stress, like, mm. probably about half an yes. hour into the game, Japan are in the lead by sort of three, five points, maybe. Um, first off, after they score that try, Gordon Bray and Mark Ellis start talking about how amazing Japan are. <laughs> and then they miss the conversion right next to the post. Then they just kind of have this turn of like, oh yeah, they're not that good, are they? <laughs> but then once the kickoff is made, so Topo Rodriguez, who is playing Lucid for Australia, yep. just randomly, just completely taking the piss, goes for this massive left foot belt into touch on the full. And I absolutely <laughs> love it because like Rodriguez isn't a player we've seen much of other than just doing his job in the tight. Whereas this game, he sure. clearly went into it and thought, I'm going to have fun today. Like, I have to have fun. Yeah. Last game of the group stage, it's serious after this. I'm going to have as much fun as I can now. And, like, we just saw a different different animal. It's it's like, it's, like, it's when, like, when... It's like he went... It's like he went, finally, my chance to show I want the 10 shirt all along. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, like, it's like when the supply teacher's in and, they know they're not, and you know they're not going to feed back to your actual teacher. And you See, can just mess say... about as much as you can. I'd say you close on that. I think it's like the supply teacher who desperately wants to show that actually, actually, he has got a degree in science. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Either way, something to do with supply teachers. Yeah, it doesn't work for him, like, but, you know, he has a go. (laughs) But, no, I really enjoy, I really enjoy Topo Rodriguez just, like, being funny in this game and not taking it seriously at all, even though he's, like, his team are behind at that point and he's still like, no, 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 I'm going to have fun still. Yeah, and none of his players even bollock him. It's great. But speaking of... He does a lovely, like, Gavin Henson style, like, flip, like, hangs the ball in the Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. So speaking of bollockings, there's a point, and I have it written down, it's 33 minutes and 30 seconds in, where you can hear Michael Lineup starting to bollock Brian Smith uh, on the ref mic. Really? So Brian Smith is, like, he's at the back of a mall where the forwards are rumbling Mm. it forward. And you can hear on the ref mic, I want it now, Smithy. Wake up, Smithy. Wake up. Wake up, Smithy. <laughs> and then you can hear something else, Smithy, but I couldn't quite make out what. Are you sure that is Michael Liner and not Eddie Jones? <laughs> either one, either one. Somewhere and in the when crowd. He says, calling when he says, I want it now, he's on about the Australia job. Yeah. Give it to me. 
Yeah. So, Australia go in only 16-13 ahead, having just pulled the lead back thanks to that bullshit try by Matt Burke. Yes. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50-80% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So we've done the first half. Yes. Then there is a slightly difficult part to, to discuss. And do you know what I'm on about? No. Did you watch the half-time coverage? No, I skimmed through it. Well, it's just as well, because okay, we're slightly skipping ahead well, early to, to, to Dick of the Day territory, but I'm about to play you. Oh, no. Mark Eller. Mark Eller. Mark Eller. Okay. Last time he was on oh, comms, Jesus he said Christ. something quite racist. This time, he said <laughs> oh, this. Oh, Jesus. Duncan, we've got a minute and a half before they kick off. Duncan? Can I claim compo for the cauliflower ears wearing these things all day? Okay, I feel like I've got them. Demand compo. Can I join the union? Which union can I join? Beside the Australian Rugby Union. So, I feel like I missed that. Basically, he's it's just really shit banter that he's making. Saying, can I claim compensation? Right. Saying, because I'll have cauliflower ear having to wear these headphones all day. Is what he's saying. Which is just, you know, shit banter. It's just boring. Whatever. You know, it doesn't yeah, really... Yeah. But essentially the vibe is, he doesn't realise his mic's still on. Or his mic's back on from half time. And he's trying to make okay. shit banter with the producers. But, I've only covered half of it. Because okay. it gets a lot worse, Mark Ellis' chat... Not knowing he's on, he's back on air. Okay. So I'm about to play you another clip, which co- comes immediately after that, where Gordon Bray okay. realizes they're back live again and tries to get them back on track. Mark Heller, however, does not. Oh Jesus! He's yeah, a fabulous player. I actually, she glamorous sort down there. Hmm? Glamour. The brunette. Yeah, I'd like to work on her. Mutton dressed up as lamb, right? Mm. She loves me too. Yeah, I don't come that easy, though. Oh? Hey, you have to work hard to get me. He's blaming the TV people. There's a few down there that you can have then. Jesus Christ! Beg your pardon? How are you, boys? Cheech. Oh, my. Here's the the thing, though, right? 
the moment this podcast goes up, suddenly there's going to be a flurry of a flurry of Google activity, as somewhere, London Irish Google is Mark Heller still playing? Can we sign him? Yep. So, Mark Heller was just being a basically a misogynist piece of shit on on Mike. Yep. Enormously so. Yep. That was horrible. Yep. That was really quite, really quite really difficult to listen to. And like, as I say, he made Gordon a... Bray is so uncomfortable he there is. as he well. He hates it. He hates it. And like, he just clearly like you could just sense an aura of Gordon Bray thinking like, oh my god, I've got to spend forty more minutes with this asshole. Yeah. Because there's a point at first when Mark Eller, presumably not realizing he's back on air, says like, yeah. oh yeah, she's a sort down there. And Gordon mm. Bray just kind of goes, wait, what? And then Mark Eller does a stupid little wolf whistle, which in yeah, its, yeah. on its own makes him a fucking idiot. And then Gordon Bray then goes like, what, the brunette? And kind of thinks, do I humour this? Then goes, because, you know, I want to be, I want to have this, you know, conversation with yeah, somebody on like, air. It's what I'm kinda... paid to do. And then when Mark Heller just goes on, Gordon Bray just is basically having to say, shut up, stop talking, by not talking yeah. back. And then Mark Heller just goes on this mad, lengthy monologue, this soliloquy about how good looking he is. Yeah, and about, oh, she'll have to do well to get with... Like, have you seen Mark Heller? Yeah, right? What a He prick. looks like an extra from the good from Goodfellas. <laughs> like, I... It's genuinely quite... And, like, I've been in that situation that Gordon Bray's in there. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure we, makes these comments. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have. Yeah, like, Where yeah. you've been in that situation where someone says something really uncomfortable and it's like, yeah. you know, hey, don't you think so? Hey. I just, I don't... I don't want to be part of this conversation. No. Let alone on live like, television. Like... Yeah, exactly. I've never had to do it on live television. I've had to do it, like, plenty at both rugby situations and, like... Sure. Having done comedy, it's... Live comedy is a surprisingly... Well, I suppose not surprisingly, because it's incredibly male-dominated. But it's a very uncomfortably often like that environment. Yeah. And I I won't name the comedian. as a comedian who is reasonably well-known, who I opened for once who spent the entire night then being incredibly leery to me and I because it was someone who I don't know and I I thought about that a lot of like I wish I'd said something then I wish I'd yeah, done stuff yeah. and I'd be more like because I think I don't know um yeah so I've been in that kind of situation that Gordon Bray's in there quite a lot and it's something you've got to also it was the 80s you know like there is far more yeah. that kind of thing people got away with far more yeah yeah they did they did but Oh god, I hate it. I it's hate awful. It. It's awful. And like, uh, not long after that, there's like a few more comments Mark Eller just made generally, and I was like, my god, he has dick of the day sewn up. Yeah. Like for yeah. several reasons, but yeah, basically, long story short, uh, as I say, that that one comment of oh yeah, all the Japanese people look the same. Like, I get that it was a different era, and that's a one-off. But actually, yeah. listening to that, I think no, Mark Eller, you're a wanker. Yeah. Just like treating, and it was was it? Now was it a member of the crowd or like a production? It was assistant? a member of the crowd. That was the impression I got. I it was like okay, it was the crowd rather than I believe like so. A production person. Or at least okay. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I believe no, so, but I know. could like the person they're on about isn't on television, like isn't on screen at any point. So no, 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 you can't no, really okay. tell. That's just it's just just nasty. disgusting, isn't it? It's just treating someone as just a piece of meat. I hate it. Yeah. And not like a piece of meat in the Goodfellas way, like he should be doing. Yeah. Like, like put in the freezer or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
when Austin Healy makes comments about, oh yeah, look at me, I'm really good. Like, it's a character, it's a joke. Whereas he actually yeah. thinks the world of himself. Yeah, as you said, there's a lot in those kind of comments about, oh, oh she needs to do well to get with me. It's like, shut up, grow up. Shut up, Markella, grow up, yeah. <sighs> then go right, and move on. After that goes, yeah. anyway, like, back to the rugby, you know, let's stop thirsting over women on live television thank you very much let's let's talk about the game and so they do Miyamoto gets clotheslined play on <laughs> yep he did have it coming though let's be honest oh he does a beautiful deliberate knock on as well start of the half. oh yes he does yes he does yeah lovely stuff just like properly slapping the ball forwards no no subtlety whatsoever gorgeous stuff that one to sound like Mark Heller Jesus there's a point where yeah um, lovely lovely there's, there's a point where Matt Burke stitches Campo up and throws him like a horrid hospital pass inside zone 22. It's great. Yeah, and tell you what, Krasuki murders him. <laughs> he does! He goes like, this there's... is my one opportunity to put a massive shot on this knob David Campesi. <laughs> Let's do it. There's an actual death to be reported. Yeah. R.I.P. David Campesi. He died right before he broke the all-time try record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we will come on to. So... Do we want to talk about the the next try or something else? I'll give you the choice. Which one's the next try? We'll talk about the next try. I have it in my notes as, wait, what? Grig scored? Because the, they keep re-showing in slow motion this forward pass that was given to Campo in midfield, which was a forward pass, and they're like discussing sure. it. And then you can just hear Gordon Brown commentator going, oh, and Nick Grigg's in. Nick Grigg? No, no, um, Nick Grigg. Peter Grigg. Nick Grigg's in. Yeah. Nick Grigg did it. Nick Grigg did, did it, it pre birth. When was Nick Grigg born? <laughs> Probably a couple of years later than this. Nick Grigg was born in 1992. Yep. Uh, Nick Grigg, uh, aged minus He's, five, scored okay, in the Rugby interesting World Cup. Interesting fact here Nick Grigg is the first person to score in the Rugby World Cup before being born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very impressive. So, yeah, Nick Grigg yeah. comes up on the end, and that's why I was so confused. Because he was, he hadn't been conceptualised yet. None of it. Yeah. And then, yeah, this 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 concept starts running down the wing, and I don't know how they even got the ball to him. Uh, and even if it was Peter Grigg, uh, the the winger, I wouldn't have known how they got it to him because literally the camera just flashes back, and Grigg is there just running down the wing. Yeah. And I just have Grigg try from nowhere written in my notes, and I think that sums it up. Yeah, it does. It's from literally nowhere. I also rate yeah. that Gordon Bray says that might be the one that bakes the camel's back, which is a really yeah. good phrase. Bakes the camel's back, not breaks it. Okay, another interesting point shortly after this, right? Yes. Australia get penalised for taking a man without the ball out. <laughs> and they're like, oh, now you can't do that. Yeah, It's one but of those... Now Mr. McNeil steps in. If you're the ref, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, right? Yeah. It's funny, though. It is funny. Then there was the try where Australia scored and I didn't even realise because it was literally just like a bad offload and then a dude flips over. Great, well done. Yeah, just right in the corner. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know who scored that try. I don't have a clue. But One of us should have been making notes. Yeah, we should have. We should really try that in future. I think it's slack again. I think it's slack. Okay. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, there is a point where Australia have a line-out in their own half and as they're setting up to throw it in, you can hear a kid in the crowd, and we've had run-ins with these before. A kid in the crowd shouts, don't kick it, as Australia are packing down. Which makes me think, this kid is the arch-rival 
of the super boot hating devil child who was at the Fiji oh. game before the other week. I was thinking that's fascinating because that grew up to be one of those people that now sits in pubs and goes, don't know why the box cooks so often. Yeah. They're cooking berserk I mean, aren't they? that too. Like, we're seeing his origin story. It's like, it's like a, yeah, an origins movie for that guy. That too. But also, this kid's on Superboot's side, I would imagine. This yeah. kid is... True. You know, because that Superboot no, one hold on. was in New Zealand. This one is in Australia. So these kids are completely separate. And this one hate- is not in the, the favour of just kick it, as that stupid idiot kid said at that point. No, 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 none of that. This kid is the reverse of that. He's the antith- antithesis of that child. I'm on his side. It's I know what you're thing, thinking. Right? I know what you're thinking. Sure, okay, they'll just have an epic battle and that'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. So, we then have a far more exciting kick. Oh, right? yes, And I want to talk about this kick. I just want to talk about this kick. Because David Campesi in his own 22, under some pressure, does a lovely clearance. Put it up he to does. about halfway. Yeah, yeah. Thinks, we're fine. We're grand here. I have cleared the line. I may get another appearance in my shorts as a result. Yes. However, what he is not counting on is the one, the only, the debutante, Minori Odoki. Yes. And he takes the ball. He looks in field. He has Mukai, the fullback, calling for it, wanting the ball. And he goes... You know what? Not a fucking you know chance. <laughs> I fancy a crack. And he turns side on and he lines up the most ambitious, pointless and glorious drop goal you will ever see. I've never seen someone reject a pass opportunity so hard. <laughs> I'm just like, if you think you're receiving this from me, you've got something else coming, son. I have written in my notes, hell, in all caps, hell yeah, completely pointless winger drop goal, the coach looks bemused. <laughs> That's it. They, because the fact is, he utterly shatters the drop goal, he nails it. Yeah. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. It goes it's one of the best through, drop goals you'll ever see. Yeah, it goes like, through it those never-ending posts, like, you wouldn't believe. You remember 2009 when Jonathan Sexton first broke through and he kicked that incredible drop goal from the corner of the pitch and the yeah, 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 yeah. final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of that. Like, it's very similar to that. Sure. Except that wasn't a decisive moment in a huge game. <laughs> it was a, a, a drop goal to put Japan only three points behind. No. Actually, no, no, no. They were ten points behind at this point. Yeah, they were, yeah. Yeah. To put them only two scores behind. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was completely for a flex. And I was yeah. so here for it. Like absolutely, I, I absolutely loved the, fa- the. I love the fact he got it because, like, yeah, the fact that he turned the thing down. It was, it was like purely just like, yeah, well, I've like big balls confidence type call, and also like he went into the game thinking like, okay, here's a list of things I'm gonna do when I get on there. I'm gonna nail the forty meter kick, and I'm gonna go for a drop goal, like whenever the opportunity strikes. And he did. He nailed it. Like, I have written down in here, in my notes, Japan winger nails 45 meter drop goal for a pure flex. And because I wrote this in my notes on my iPhone, when I wrote the word nails, it prompted me to put the emoji in there. So I tapped it, just like <laughs> the, the emoji of somebody painting Brilliant. their nails. And it felt appropriate for that drop goal. Absolutely. Absolutely so. And I love the shot of the coach afterwards, who has this kind of, like, bemused but proud look on his face. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, yeah. like he's watching his son play, like, lower leagues like Sunday league football yeah and he's just scored the winning goal but shat himself in the process (laughs) like that's the look he has on his face 
of like, I should be proud, but... There's also... So, when he catches the ball, Gordon Bray says, like, oh, yeah, Okadoi goes to the drop goal. Oh, what a drop goal by Okadoi. Whatever. And then... When he throws over to Mark Eller to, like, describe the drop goal, Mark Eller then goes, yeah, I'm not sure which player it was. It, uh, it might have been Harau, actually. It might have been Okadoi. It might have been Mukai. In fact, it could have been Kitsuki. In fact, in fact, no, it was Okadoi. It's like, yeah, Gordon Bray literally just told you that, you idiot. Yeah. But then, to be fair, the camera does cut to Harau, just assuming it was the time. Oh, really? It. But still, just like, Gordon Bray yeah. was right. Like, he was paying attention, yeah. man. Like, oh. Anyway, shut yeah. up, Mark Eller. David uh, Campesi scores. There's a great moment between there, like okay. just before David Campesi's try, where like right in the lead up, where Michael Liner hangs a massive bomb in the air, and the Japanese fullback is positioned perfectly under it, and Makai takes the catch perfectly, like it's brilliant, like high yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah. But he, but I'm going I have written in my notes, call the mark you twit. Yes, because. Instead, he gets flattered, loses the ball. Australia just spread it wide, and Campo scores in the corner. Yeah, it's, it's literally just like he he caught the ball, and then he looked up and just goes shit as he has yeah. like this this like four onrushing balls running towards him, like some kind of like standoff, and he just gets absolutely trampled on. It's incredible. Like, and the thing is, like by the time Campo scored, other Japanese players are just about returning to their half. Like, he <laughs> looks up and then he goes, oh no, I've made a huge mistake. Just call the mark, you twit. You'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, Campo so scores Campesi the equaling try on the world record. His 24th try, which is, of course, yeah, the equaling try equals Ian Smith's record mm. for most tries by an international Indeed. rugby union player. Indeed. Um, now, here's the interesting thing about this, right? Is that David Campesi here scoring his 24th try, yeah. right? Of 64. Like, he absolutely shatters <laughs> that record. Like, when you look at the, the all-time try scorers, right, this, like, they're all fairly close. Then you yeah. see Camp, like, but at the time, the record was 24. And Campesi scores 64. That's insane. That's like near enough three times that. Yeah, like it is It is the Simon Podovan's Wikipedia page <laughs> of try scorers. It really is. It's no, That's insane. Like nobody is ever in doubt about that. People sometimes look at Daisuke Ohata at the top of the, the records and kind of, they don't count it. They say like Campo is really yeah. the top try scorer because Ohata played a lot of his tests against like Hong Kong and like developing Asian yeah. rugby nations. So people kind of discredit it. I don't believe in that. I think that it's nope. a test match nonetheless. And if you're good enough to score all of those tries, it counts, right? And Ohata yeah. and also, also generally like, was a great player and did score against a lot of tier one nations as well. Yeah. Which people you look at... He scored against the All Blacks, didn't exactly. he? Like, you look at Ohata's record against tier one nations and it's almost a try again. Yeah. Like... I tell know, you, you what, look at the tries against Scotland and so on, and he's he's excellent. He's a player I can't wait to touch on this world, this series yeah, because I've never yeah, seen yeah. him play a full game. I've seen watched his highlights, and he looks absolutely brilliant. I can't wait mm. to start watching him in whatever World Cup he plays in oh three and ninety nine yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got injured. He was he missed the two thousand seven World Cup injury. Right. Yeah, but upstepped Onazawa at that point. So you know. Uh, yeah. But yes. Uh, anyway, back on track. Campo scores that yeah, try. Campesi. Right before absolutely shattering the world record, like, yeah, to a level that's incredible that no one will ever see again. Yeah, like, no one will ever break a world record as 
as desperately as can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, he only equals it in this game, and maybe, maybe he breaks it as we go on. But maybe we'll see that over the course of the tournament. Yes. He then, like, shortly afterwards, finds himself on the outside again and gives a really beautiful pass over his oh, head to Oh, it's delicious. He steams down the wing, chips, and Katsuki gets into position to cover and kick it and clear it. Like, he is... My everything. guy, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, we... I don't think we've done justice to just how good he is, Eiji Katsuki's been. He is Peter Romaniing the hell out of this game. <laughs> yes. Absolutely is. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. There's a couple of actually... Once Cambo has his try, there's a couple of brilliant passes he puts in. Yeah. Backhanded offloads, like over-the-head, pa- like short pop passes. Oh, it's it's delightful to watch. There's a point where I have... Harau does what I can only describe as a cheat code touch finder, where it just feels like there's a glitch yeah. that's like doubled the trajectory of the flight of his ball, and that, it goes miles. That boy has a heck of a boot. He does. He does. For the year as well, hell of a boot on him. And Japan get another penalty, um, and they go to 19.30 with 67 minutes played. Really yeah. good scoreline, that is. They're starting to get in touch. Yeah. There's another moment, just around, just before the penalty, yeah. which is one of my favourite bits of the game, mm. where um, there's a, an incident by the ruck. The referee is awarded the penalty to Australia. Yes. Uh, in their own 22, in the opposition 22, yeah. and Japanese 22. And there's a little scuffle at the bottom of a ruck. Mm. And one of the Australians is then, like, rolling on top of a Japanese player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Basically, yeah. like, coming around to punch him. And the referee grabs him by the legs in order to stop him <laughs> punching him. I didn't see that! Like, like as he kind of tips up, like, he's on the ground, like, and he kind of tips over, like, to swing his whole body weight behind it. The referee grabs him by the legs and he kind of goes, uh-oh, the teacher's caught me and doesn't throw the punch. That's incredible. I didn't spot that. It makes you think, like, yeah. you think of, like, the world-class mall defenders, like Adam Beard, Tyke Byrne, <laughs> yeah. Sam Whitelock. If one of them went into refereeing, Franco Mostert, like, the things they could do to prevent people doing side entries incredible yeah i mean and it'd be great if adam beard went into refereeing because he's the only one that could see if the ball went over those posts <laughs> yeah it's true it's true you should be a touch judge so he could just catch it yeah. behind where <laughs> you might accidentally charge it down by him in the face yeah like Ali davis charge down style <laughs> yeah i mean that was great he then reverses the penalty against australia so japan get it yeah True. But then, of course, because it's how this worked, Japan, I think, win about one line out all game. <laughs> yeah, they were shit at the set piece. <laughs> like, they're not, they're not interested in that. Like, and it's part of why I think their kicking game is so important and why they're yeah, so good. Yeah, it's true. Because they're losing the ball instantly, so they might as well play It's territory. one thing I love is, like, all the, like their front row, second row, they all played well. They just didn't do anything yeah. at the set piece. They just didn't bother. <laughs> no. They're just not interested at all. They do, however, the one line, basically the one line that they do win, and like Mark Eller goes nuts for like how important a line out win it is. Yeah. Again, not too long after this, as that score is starting to creep down, just outside the 22, Miyamoto himself, our hero, our boy, mm-hmm. wins the ball at the back of a line out, brings it in, they spin it round a bit, they look like they're going to form a mall, when actually they spin it out, and the forwards just begin offloading down the short side, and it's some lovely interplay that results in the ball getting. To Toshiyuki Fujita, the hooker, yes. who looks up and he has three men to beat. He steps the first one, he fades around the second one, 
and he crashes through the third tackle to score. Good God, what a what a finish that is. Like, what I a just finish have, like, for us. Yes, Vegeta! Like, I love that try, especially because, like, they nearly scored, like, a brilliant, like, half-length for the field try a minute earlier, uh, and they yeah. were just put into touch. Uh, no, sorry, uh, it was a knock-on from Ikuta, the scrum half, like, stopped mm. it at the last second. And then the fact they won the ball back and managed to score that try through Fujita, who really earned it, because he's been brilliant all World Cup. Yeah, yeah. And it was great that we could see that side of him, see it was great finish from him. Yeah, as you say, to put them back in real contention of nicking the game with less than 10 minutes to go. Yeah. So if they nailed this conversion, a converted try would have won the game for them. Yeah, yeah. And Haral misses the conversion narrowly, yeah. but it's a pretty good attempt. It is, it's, it's a bloody good attempt, yeah. The other, the other thing... Yeah. So, so just before this try happened... I have written down, as I say in my notes, mate, Mark Eller has Dick of the Day sewn up so hard because he's just chatting so much shit. And then straight afterwards, I just said, okay, but David Campesi did just drop the ball over the try line about to score the world record try, so... <laughs> and then straight Fair afterwards, point. it's like, and the crowd are singing God Save the Queen, pricks. So, so um, speaking of things David Campesi does that are Dick of the Day contenders, there's a bit where he does a goose step round someone, a goose mm. step round a second one, and kicks out on the full. Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure what people think Marcus Smith does. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally. It was, it was, like the, the the two goosies were absolutely like outstanding. Yeah, it was, yeah. Pe- it was literally peak David Gampesi doing them. <laughs> so that phrase doesn't exactly <laughs> yeah. work, but it's his tra- <laughs> yeah. it's his trademark. What are we going to do? When we get to 95. And we have to talk about things being Jonah Lomu esque. Yeah, exactly. It's like the bit in Squid and the Whale when Jesse Eisenberg describes the metamorphosis as being Kafkaesque. Nice, nice. Because he hasn't read it and he's trying to sound clever. Yeah, I rate that. It, that's that's what people should do when watching this podcast, but without commentary. And they're like, oh, that fullback no. who's uh, coming to uh, replace Andrew Leeds, who might be Andrew Leeds. He's, he looks like Campesi. There's a, there's a point where, as well, Hiral puts a kick in and Gordon Bray says, that's a sensible kick that's going out on the full. <laughs> yes! Like, he has to pull it back when he realises it's not a smart kick after it's hit his boot. And I sympathise, because the amount of times that anybody anybody listening to this yeah, will yeah, watch yeah. rugby and go, oh, yeah, good kick. Oh, never mind. Yeah, great option. Oh, yeah, wow. exactly. And stuff like that happens. And the difference is, we're not on live television when we say that. So I yeah. do sympathise with Gordon Bray in that. But it was a good comedy moment, nonetheless. Other other moment I love, this is just one of my favourite moments, and it's kind of nothing comes of it, but there's an absolute, one of the most insane scrums I've ever seen, okay. where uh, the ball is fed, it's an Australia put in, he feeds the ball into the middle, and the scrum wheels entirely, mm. until, without shoving it, it ends up at the Japanese number eight's feet, <laughs> so he just goes, alright, he picks it up and just tries to offload it to his scrum half, but because the scrum's wheeled so badly, the entire Australian back row is up between him and his nine now, <laughs> so we just he has to like, try and post it, it over like, the top of both packs. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, we want this, <laughs> so here he it is. Like, he tries, and Australian number eight's just like, okay, just gather it, gathers it, runs. And like the scrum, the two front rows wheel so badly that the two back rows end up in the same place. Yeah, yeah. And the referee goes, play on. Because again, this happened the other week where the scrum wheeled like 180 degrees and the referee didn't know mm. the protocol because there wasn't really one. It was just yeah. kind of like, oh, is everyone on side? Is there an offside line? What is that? And just, but this one was 10 times funnier because as you say, the back rows were all basically hugging each other. Yeah, they just end up together. You've kind of got the back rows separate off from the front rows, and they just kind of have like a little like, one-on-one the teams, meter. The teams put their differences aside, and they're like, we just got to make it through this now. we just got to figure something <laughs> out. Like Dan Evans. Yes. 
So, that's a niche reference for Welsh Rugby Twitter people. It is indeed. So, I think, does this bring us through the game? I think it does, because there's a try we didn't see, and that is Australia's own fault. Should have scored it earlier on, so it didn't happen. Yeah. So And so, that brings us through the pool stage, and it also brings us through Japan's World Cup. It does indeed. And therefore, on to the Japanese leaving party. Hell yeah. And, in particular, the song Tower... Tower Nai by the Gospelers. Okay, I'm so excited for this. Into it so far. This screams Japanese legend prop forward. Yeah. Second row forward. Oh, wait, did he say he prop as well? Yeah. He's a prop who played second row. Yeah, yeah. Well, this bangs. So these are initial lyrics in England. Girl... Was that you here? I can't live, I can't sleep, I can't breathe without you. Woo, I need you, I need to be close to have you all. I want to be where you are, let me love you. Ooh, woo, woo. And then the rest of the lyrics in Japanese. And that's about Toshigi Hayashi, the, the second row for Japan in this game. Apparently. Okay, fair enough. Um, that, I, I will so... admit, they, were, they weren't the lyrics I was expecting. Okay, so I've now I've translated the lyrics into English. Uh, I'm going to skim through them quickly. Yes. I wish I could see the thread that connects the two. I still remember the smile with my eyes closed. If it has no shape, it must be broken. That's profound. That the is warmth nice. that I hugged remains. I want to be your wind and wrap everything up. Does that mean like tackling? Yeah, it must do. Beyond the distant time is forever. From here, Awu, I will never leave. I swore to hug each other. I heard the sound of rain last night. Oh, oh. I want to be the wind and wrap everything up. The voice that echoes in her heart is her until the time stops forever. I mean, that's nice, isn't it? I still it's don't nice, see how it's yeah. about Hayashi, but <laughs> don't it's a nice that. song. But, like, good on them for dedicating their, their beautiful ballad yeah. <laughs> to a what Japanese a lovely song. forward. Yeah. So, Japanese leaving party. God, I'm going to miss them, you know. Like, I am. a lot of these tier two nations, we've kind of, like, skimmed over and just gone, oh, they're all fine, whatever. I don't really care, to be honest. But, like, Japan were really good. I really liked them. Japan... And, like, it was a real yeah. blueprint for what they're going to go on to be, you know, Absolutely. brick by brick, World Cup by World Cup. We've talked about this quite a lot over the episodes on them. Yeah. But there is the clearest blueprint of what they will become of any nation. As yes. Up. Other than maybe the All Blacks, because they're just better than everyone else. Sure. Um, and they'll score lots of tries, similar to the kind of 2011-2015 teams. Yeah. But there's a clear blueprint of the style of play, of what they're eventually going to become, you know, in the last 10 years. This song is um, really nice. Carry on. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, that's. I think they're a really really fun team as well mm. they've got a clear style of play a clear game plan yeah they've clearly got a coach who's fought like about the game like an ethos about rugby yeah which still yeah. stands today which is in- insane they have such a national identity in terms of the sport and that's so rare like it's usually just a cliche that lasts a few years but they genuinely yeah. do and I love that it's so unique it's brilliant they're probably the team going out in the pool stage that I'm going to miss most me too yeah in terms of players, I mean, Seiji Harao has been fantastic, hasn't he? And yeah. as, as you mentioned beforehand, like Matsuo and Kitsuki, also brilliant. Miyamoto, we have both Big grown fond of. Big fan of both Miyamoto and Fujita. Fujita is great. Kind of, Again, he is just a prototype Horie. Shota Horie before Shota Horie existed. 
God, they've got so many brilliant players. I've loved Hayashi himself. Hayashi himself has yeah. been fantastic as, as skipper. Yeah, I've I've loved Japan in this. They've been yeah. really good. And my dick of the tournament for them is Sean Webb. <laughs> yep, hard to argue too far. Hard to argue too much. Because he did that um, kick against Tower France Flower in 2011. Has, yeah, Tower Flower is a couple of dickish moments, but I feel it's harsh to call him. He's probably had the most dick of the day moments, but it's harsh to call him that because he has been quite fun to watch. That's true, actually. Like, he's yeah. entertaining. And he was really good um, in this game as well. Whereas if I'm nominating one player as their player at the tournament, I am going Haral. Yeah. As I, said, I love Vegeta, love Miyamoto. I think Katsuki actually, quite on the choir until this game, has been very good. Mm. And it really steps up into his own here. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's such a good, fun team. Mm. But Haral, to me, stands out as like absolute class. Probably next to Grant Fox, the best turn in the tournament in the pool stages for me. Yeah, he's been excellent. Uh, really elevates everything Japan have done. Players yeah. come away like with so much respect for Ernst. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally get that. Should we move on to Man of the Match and Dick of the Day from this game then? Let's. I think we should start with Man of the Match. In fact, yeah, no, okay. let's start with the Dick of the Day because it's Mark Eller. Okay. It's Mark Eller. It's Mark Eller. It's Mark Eller. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, I was trying to work out because like the referee grabbing a player's leg so they can't have a fight feels like a Dick of the Day thing. As sure. Does not, as does the Grig try. Not the Grig try, the um, Burke try. Yeah, sure. But you know what? I'm not going to do that. There the is, however, is there's a point where an Australian uses the R slur to call a move. What? Which is quite horrible. That they have a call. It's like right at the end of the game uh, when they're setting a scrum and they call the R word island is the name of okay. one of their moves, which is... That's quite horrible. Quite horrible. I assume that that was around that Mark Ellen named that move when he was playing. Yeah, and that stuck around. Anyway, Mark Ellen's dick of the day, unquestionably. Yep. Yep. For yep. both Agreed. of us. Yeah. Man of the match. See, difficult one. Difficult one. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Go I on. I'm absolutely nailed on on my dick of, on my man of the go match. Go on. I have no doubts at all. This is one of the clearest decisions I've had all time. Oh, okay. Like I know exactly who it is. Go on. It's Aiji Katsuki. Okay. I love that. I think he was He phenomenal. was brilliant. And he was the first name I'd written everywhere. down. Yeah. yeah. He scores two tries, both of which really great yeah. smart tries. His defends game brilliantly. is excellent. Yeah, he does. Defends really well. Like, defends yeah. really well. His work rate is excellent. You look at him covering back and covering a chip over which Campesi's chasing and he beats him Yeah. Too. Yeah, kicks brilliantly. I think was just was a great foil for Haral and mm. bought him so much time. Yeah. I thought Katsuki was was brilliant. Yeah, he was. Like he is absolutely nailed on one of the furthest away man of the matches I've had to give out this tournament. Yeah, so I love that. I go Eiji Katsuki is my player of the match. I love that. As uh, he was the first name I'd written down. I also I had more Japanese players written down than Australians. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had not not familiarly written down just for for fun. I think Andrew Slack was absolutely fantastic for Australia. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. He's somebody that I, I... And also, the whole thing of him giving the captaincy to Poydovan really boosts that for me from just yes. a, a rugby values perspective. I think, as much as you are completely correct about Kitsuki, I think for sheer poetry, I'm going to give Man of the Match to Seiji Hirao. Okay. Because I okay. think he was he was utterly fantastic. He kicked brilliantly and was just everywhere in the game. And I loved him. Uh, I think it's good that they each get a Man of the, a man of the Match thing as their partnership. Yeah. Yeah, I can completely get beyond that. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. So, that brings us through to the end of the pool stage. We made it. We did. We did it. We, we made it. Unbelievable. And this episode's like coming up on two hours. It's incredible. <laughs> I don't know. To be fair, it's the first time we've had a good game to talk about. I don't blame us getting true. carried away. It's true. Plus, we have to talk about like 
notebooks in Worcester for a bit. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. you just got to do a really that. important topic to yeah. address. So, please join us next week when we move on to the knockouts. We're getting so close to the end of this tournament. So yes, quarterfinals. Yeah, the first quarterfinal as the home team, New Zealand, take on Scotland. Oh, I wonder which way that one's going to go. <laughs> Who could ever know? Who could ever know which way that game is going to turn out? New Zealand, one of two good teams thus far in the tournament against Scotland, who have been fine. Sorry, who's the second good team? France. Okay. Uh, okay, I'll give you that. It's a bit kind, but... So, we will see you then for New Zealand against Scotland. See you very soon. Good night. Goodbye. I've not cut this one off midway through, despite the fact the game did. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.